he went into a building to to go work out and his wife starts blowing up his phone saying hey there's a tornado in town he comes out to this tornado ripping half of his town away i just say the words don't shoot him because i felt all this yeah weaponry behind me he had a uh, i believe it was a pink bikini on underneath his uniform and the trooper asked him, where did you get that? And he had claimed he found it on the side of the road. On, on night shift, we would uh, have a, nu a nuclear research reactor. Welcome to 1023 Podcast. From on scene to on air with those who were there. Before we get started, we want to give a shout out to an incredible company with an incredible mission that we're huge fans of, Primary Arms. Primary Arms is a massive online retailer of mission essential gear for firearms enthusiasts, professional shooters, hunters, law enforcement officers, and anybody interested in self-defense. They have a huge selection of products, including firearms, shooting gear, optics, and so much more. By using their passion and knowledge of firearms, Primary Arms offers their customers world-class customer service and affordable prices. Primary Arms also has a government division. If you are a law enforcement officer in charge of acquiring equipment for your agency, Primary Arms government division can assist you with all your needs. They're also a Glock Blue Label program dealer for those first responders and military interested in Glock firearms at a discounted price. For more information on Primary Arms Government Division and Primary Arms Awesome Products, stay tuned for 1023 Podcast's YouTube exclusive video featuring Andy Blauser of Primary Arms Government Division as he shows real cops the superior products Primary Arms has to offer for real-world use in high-stakes law enforcement operations. Lastly, the views and opinions of the individuals featured on 1023 Podcast do not necessarily reflect those of their employers or their profession. Viewer discretion is advised. This is 1023 Podcast, episode 10-4, with Brandon Jones, uh, myself, Hunter Fithin, uh, the lovely and talented Ashley Fithin, and our special guest, Andy Blauser. Andy Blauser, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks Glad for to be being here. here. Well, yeah, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, um, so... This episode is going to be all about Andy Blauser here. We're going to get into his story. Um, you were a cop for well, over 10 years. Just a little bit. Kind of just re more recently got out and doing some other cool stuff now. Um, but kind of before we get started and everything, um, real quick, we're going to explain episode uh, title with the 10 codes. 10-4 is a cool 10 code. It, uh, it actually it has it has multiple meanings. 10-4 is generally accepted as uh, it means something is acknowledged. So... You know, if your dispatch um, gives you a, a call to go on, you know, you're going to acknowledge it and say, you know, 10-4, my, uh, I understand that traffic, message received, I'm on my way, that type of thing. 10-4 um, can also mean that uh, everything's all clear, um, scene is secure, everything's good. So if you're, let's say you go to a hot call, you're there for a while, someone's checking on you saying, hey, you know, unit whatever, are you good? Everything's 10-4, you know, that type of thing. So that's what that means. Um yeah, so we also um, have kind of an interesting topic to open up with. Um, uh, we're recording this episode now, but um, actually, 
Um, today is what the the sixteenth of June, um, but yesterday uh, we were involved um, kind of spontaneously in a uh, some search and rescue operations in the town of Perryton, Texas. They got hit with a real bad tornado, so uh, there were some casualties and everything. Terrible situation, um, but we're in. Um, not a directly neighboring county, but a, a nearby county. And so we were able to all get together and uh, respond to that and kind of provide some assistance. And um, Blouser here just happened to uh, be here for this podcast at the right time. And so uh, you uh, all of a sudden found yourself in a a uh, county unit at an agency you used to work for. That's right. Going to an emergency again. That's right. You know, it's almost like playing out like some of those movies, you know, it's uh, yep. we need you for one last mission. I'm retired. <laughs> you can't get me. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's basically how it went down. So no, it was, it was absolutely good. It was a uh, quite a uh, quintessential panhandle day, you know, yes. where you have, yeah. uh, you know, dust storm came into town on the tail of that, uh, that storm. And then as we were heading out and, you could see the supercell from many, many, many miles away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely a lot of destruction over there in Parrington. Um, some of the stories that we heard were, were pretty heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, one thing, though, the kind of the silver lining is um, just how the community always swells up around its own. I mean, yeah. um, how many counties were involved? We saw. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Hundred, at least a hundred different agencies between fire, EMS. Golly, um, yeah. Texas law enforcement, mm-hmm. you know, we had uh, people from Kansas, people from Oklahoma yeah. uh, coming down to help um, pretty much anyone with a forklift or a front end loader was yeah. running around town. Really? Um, I mean, yeah, I think that's pretty unique. It um, is. Yeah. Well, and for those, you know, in the audience who maybe, um, so we kind of live in, in, in tornado alley. And for those who have never really been around tornadoes, or never seen the aftermath of one, like it's bad. Like this town got Turns like it looks like a war zone. You know, it looks like you know bombs went off there and everything. Like buildings are destroyed, collapsed. Hundred fifty year old yeah. buildings. Yes, to yeah. give you some idea of the frequency of that town. So it's it's mm. definitely a historic event for them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it was it was wild, but yeah, it was amazing to see just hundreds and hundreds of not only first responders from the surrounding area showing up, but just everyday average joe's showing up and someone's got a pickup truck and a chainsaw ready to show up and help cut people out of buildings who are trapped and things like that it was uh, it was really cool and a terrible tragedy but really cool to be a part of the response to to help these folks out so absolutely something interesting on that is just the the look on people's faces with the, the like the citizens that were there just kind of a walking aimlessly down the street just right. with a lost yeah. look on their face and and i've seen that because i responded to a, in 2000 april 21st 2007 went to an, another tornado in another town it was the same everybody has the same look right. on their face of just it's a, it's a unique look to a situation like that that's yeah. the only time i've ever seen it is is when a disaster like that is just i think which is shock but it's it's mass shock because you have hundreds or thousands of people just walking yeah. around oh, in, yeah. in shock it's 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 crazy when it's that many people. I mean, we see it all the time on on wrecks. You'll have somebody mm-hmm. who appears to be normal, but they've just been in a you know six or seven rollover accident, oh, and they're yeah. just there. It's the same thing, but on a mass scale. I feel that yeah. PD guy that we linked up, the local PD guy that yeah. we, we linked up with. I kind of feel like he was kind of going through some of that because he kind of had that same yeah, uh, zone yeah, going yeah. on. He was doing a great job yeah, and all that. He but was I think holding he it was, down. I, I would say this just for just for the people watching. Um, you know, we we roll into town. Um, we kind of get our loose assignment. We 
link up with this Parrington police officer and he was describing the story of he went into a building to to go work out and his wife starts blowing up his phone saying, hey, there's a tornado in town. He comes out to this tornado ripping half of his town away. Um, yeah. You know, it's different when you're on patrol because like you're just passing through a town. Yeah, it's the town, you know, but when you're on patrol and you're there every single day, you know, every nook and cranny of that place, you know, who no lives doubt. where, you know, the stories, you know, the timelines and all that stuff. So for him, um, well, you know, I guarantee you, he knew some of the victims. Absolutely. I mean, you know, oh, almost, without a doubt. And to go out into your town and see that kind of destruction has to be, um, definitely something that that young man needs to to work on later on in life, you know, whenever everything oh, yeah, settles yeah. down. Yeah. Um, you know, he was describing the story to us of the dispatcher, um, Parrington PD was trying to, uh, realized there was a tornado in town, was trying to send out the alarm to the rest of the town and almost playing out like a, like a film. Um, the entire PD was ripped out from around her. Uh, yeah. before she could hit the button so yeah. the building was literally destroyed like i mean we, we saw it it was y'all saw it absolutely destroyed so that, absolutely. that's insane well and like we were even um at one point ashley and i were walking around just trying to plug holes and help where we could and there's folks who are walking around just kind of in shock and looking for loved ones that they don't know where they are um you know we, we saw one lady walking around asking about um she's speaking spanish but I picked up enough to, it sounded like she was looking for her son. And yeah. my understanding is that uh, there were kids out and about, you know, whenever this storm hit. And so they were just, home from school, yes. hanging out in the trailer park. Yep. Families working. Yep. Maybe community caretaking going on. Mm hmm. Yeah. Very, so, very bad. Yeah. Extremely awful situation. But uh, yeah. So as we sit here and record this podcast today, we're, uh, we're all a little tired. Very tired. Um, <laughs> being involved in that. We, uh, I think we got back home around one or two in the morning. Absolutely. So, and I'm sure, yeah. uh, I know there's going to be a lot of, uh, recovery efforts, um, yeah. especially, you know, with these departments here, y'all, oh, yeah. uh, be sending out rotations. I know, yeah. um, it's busy be morning an ongoing effort. So. Um, but <laughs> again, you know, just to, to reiterate, you know, in times like these, it's good to focus on the good. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So yeah. the, the panhandle swelling around its own, mm -hmm. man, yeah. it almost brings a tear to your eye, you know, it's, uh. <laughs> It's, it's very, amazing. It's very good. It's it's something that I feel as society, especially in major urban centers, um, mm -hmm. we kind of lose a little bit of that community. Yeah, you know, and yeah. especially with um, how we how the public wants policing to be nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, if yeah. you don't have that community to begin with, that's just one more thing for the cops. We have oh, to build gosh. the community. You know, it's uh, yeah. but in times like these, when when the, the you know the cards are down. Yep. Yeah, it's it's cool to see it is absolutely awesome. yeah it is awesome it's cool to see and it's cool to be a part of and and uh no, just i guess well hey it was cool that um that i had to call you and say hey we're we can't do the podcast tonight <laughs> yeah do this, but hey do you want to jump in with me and roll over there because yeah. we could probably use all the help that we could get and absolutely that, and he jumped right yeah. in and and just uh put on his like old yeah. law enforcement hat and <laughs> well, went there and did so, what we needed to do so some background on that so so Blauser here, our guest is he's with um, Primary Arms Government, which we're going to talk about. Um, you can see he's got this cool shirt on, <laughs> but um, no. So he's here, like he he doesn't live where where we're at, where our podcast is based out of. So he actually traveled up here to be on the show, and uh, lo and behold, when he gets here, the the most panhandle thing ever happens. Absolutely, he, you know. Well, we were shooting tornado. guns in the morning. 
Yeah, you, you really couldn't have written a better for a tornado <laughs> yeah. later that afternoon. Yeah. You absolutely could not have written a better panhandle day. Exactly. So wake so up, when... go out, shoot <laughs> guns. You know, well, first we start at the the sheriff's office. You know, mm-hmm. talk to the people. You know, go out, shoot some guns down at the city dump. Which you uh, know, yeah. that's Same that's something the for the is. people that are outside <laughs> of this community. That might sound strange, but uh, definitely shooting at the city dump, mm-hmm. yep. and then going to lunch at a golf course, which yeah. sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, having a nice mm-hmm. burger. And then, you know, hey, we got the podcast tonight. You know, might might want to go kick our feet up for a little while. And then mm-hmm. next thing you know, we're getting a call and yep. we're going out to Parenton, man, and uh, do all that. And then uh, I was actually on the phone with my buddy and he was like, I was like, man, I just had the most panhandle day. And he's like, um, what, did you have a, a meth head with a gun or something? And I said, as a matter of fact. <laughs> did, he, did he really say that? He, he literally ungoaded, <laughs> completely <laughs> uncoached, said, what, did you have a meth head with a gun? I said, well, as a matter of fact, when we were rolling back into town, 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, yep. that's when the call came out that there was a uh, there was a prowler around yeah, out, we there, half, half out there in Duma. Yeah, yeah. it stopped up on the yeah. CAD and I, on the radio, and I'm oh. like, hey, we're in the area. Let's go look for it. He's running yep. to door to door. He was the uh i guess a ring doorbell camera or something showed him that it looked like he had a gun and oh, he was shoot. talking about well i don't know what he was th- somebody was after him he thought so right. typical method like type of paranoid. delusions yeah right. golly see i i missed that part i think whenever by the time we rolled back into town i think my radio was probably still on that uh uh inner inner operations uh, channels yes. so i don't think i heard that traffic but yeah if we go into this tornado response search and rescue effort <laughs> yes come back and have to deal with potentially meth head with gun so yeah welcome to the panhandle but and i'll uh, tell you and that's just such a typical law enforcement experience and a lot of people don't realize especially for you guys that um work work nights like me i yeah. spent i don't know nine and a half years of my 10 you know Gosh, at yeah. night most of it like yeah. i mean it's vampire it's maybe not that much i'm probably exaggerating like <laughs> at least three quarters of it it's my whole 20s at night yeah um you get into situations when you are not wanting them to happen. Yeah. It's never when you're, oh, yeah. you show up, you're ready to go, brown-eyed, bushy-tailed. You know, you got your caffeine <laughs> in you. It's always, it's always that, that lull and that. Yes. You know, you, you when you're not choose. expecting it, like the sun's yeah. about to come up, and yep. you know. Yep. So. <laughs> well, so okay, to get into your background, sure. So we kind of this episode is about you. We want to hear your story. We want to go special. into. You, know, you are special. <laughs> so. <laughs> tell us about like where were you born where'd you grow up so i was actually all my extended family is uh from west virginia um but my dad ended up becoming a uh electrical engineer and uh started doing some defense contracting work uh around washington dc so i was actually born in maryland believe it or not yeah um germantown maryland slash uh, rockville area cool Uh, family but And uh, I just wish that we would have had a little bit of a difference because I can't claim native Texan status, which I know is very <laughs> special. But when I was nine months old, we moved to uh, Round Rock, Texas, which is okay. a suburb of Austin. Yep. Um, there was a little bit of a push, kind of like a uh, redistribution of the Silicon Valley across the United States at the time. Uh, Dell Computing was based out of oh, uh, okay. Round Rock, Texas. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where, where that was. So that's where I grew up, you know, went, went to high school out there uh, doing all that kind of stuff. Um, so that kind of leads me into how I became a cop. So I'm, I'm, I go to a school, a high school called Round Rock Christian Academy and, uh, I'm playing basketball and just so happened, nice. I'm, I, I don't know, 16 years old. And, um, my parents are out of town 
and mm-hmm. I had a basketball game that night, but I had a license. I could drive myself, you know, kind okay. of becoming yeah. my own man, you know, pants yeah. and leaving, man. It was, it was <laughs> independent. Good t- yeah. You know, big yep. boy. Uh, <laughs> so I'm out there playing basketball. Uh, first, like first tip off, I was, you know, I'm six, four. So I, even though I'm the most uncoordinated dude you ever meet, I look like I can play basketball pretty well. Right, my mom's, yeah. my mother's actually very talented as a basketball player, <laughs> but, uh, end up getting the tip off. It gets passed back to me and I actually hit a three point shot, which nice. never happens. <laughs> like I, I can't tell you how many times I just hit, you know, bricks going out there, but I'm, I get a little cocky. Right. So I'm, yeah. I, I shoot the shot. I'm fading back like this. Mm. Right. And, uh, Next thing I know, this kid who was running up behind me he had his mouth open and he nailed me on the back of the oh. head with his with his mouth open. So immediately I had like blood coming out the back. <laughs> I saw like a white light and I was like, um, <laughs> teeth marks. <laughs> and uh, family friend was actually there and he happened to be a uh, Austin um, fire department guy. And so I was like, hey man, you know, put the super glue in me, patch me up like Rocky. I'm having the best game of my life. You can't yeah. take me. I was like, no, nah, you're, you're bleeding pretty profusely. We got to go to the ER. No. <laughs> so I'm like, all right. So by this point, you know, my mom already knows she's on the way back from wherever she was a couple, you know, an mm-hmm. hour or two away, yeah. um, meets me in the emergency room. Um, I'm getting my head worked on and just so happened that that was the next week coming up was career day. Uh-huh. And I had a really great experience in that ER, this, um, you know, doctor comes in he patches me up made me not feel any pain all that stuff was like Mm -hmm. talking to me about so it just it was cool and i was like you know what i think i could do that i think i could just you know go do a job where i get to help people every day and um go in and patch them up but um so she's like oh you're my son is telling me that for career day he wants to be a doctor oh i'm gonna do everything i can (laughs) to to make that happen but you know in our day of even back then you know this is probably 2006 time frame yeah um you know even insurance so there's no way that they're gonna let some 16 year old shadow a doctor for the day so Mm -hmm. the next best thing was ems right sure well same thing ems doesn't want you out there uh, you know taking up room on the ambulance so right what's the next best thing a cop. Mm. So we had a family friend in church. His name uh, works for PD. Still over there as a, uh, I believe he's uh, a sergeant as a detective over there cool. for Round Rock PD. Been there yeah. for many many years. He happened to um, go to our church, so okay. um, hooked up with that opportunity and ended up getting to go on a ride along. Perfect. Now I don't know if we're gonna have to edit this part out or not, but um, <laughs> you you can't go on a ride along under the age of. 18 if you're not a police explorer and there's there's stuff like that and i wasn't okay. at the time right, so right. he says hey come i was 16 he said hey come on a ride along with me yeah and i'm like okay um that sounds good <laughs> he says but if you got to go and fill out some paperwork and dispatch just tell him you were born in 87 yeah instead of 89 yeah. you know and yeah. we'll just write it down they're not gonna work you don't have you know no problem it's fine yeah. You know, <laughs> so the first thing that happens is I hop in the car with him. You know, he shows me all this stuff. He's like, this button does the rifle and whatnot. I'm like, I'm 16 years old. I've never even, just, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, man. Like, and I started telling people that when they would go and ride alongs with me later in life, you know, here's the yep. rifle. If something happens, you well, push yeah. the button, you know? Yeah. So the very first call, um, I don't even know. Well, it might not have been the first call, but we get a call at city hall and they, at the time you could rent out, I guess, rooms in it for like parties. And okay. I guess it's some kind of, um, I don't know if it was a wedding or whatever, but there was a fight, okay, a massive okay. fight, big so, party fight, big party fight, drunken fight. So at the time CAD, um, like, or, um, locating people on yeah. a map, like other units was relatively new, you know, GPS okay. in the cars, but they had that 
So gotcha. he says, watch this. And he switches over to a screen. You can see all the units just like turn and converge <laughs> on this area. That's so next thing you know, cool. we come whipping around this corner. Crown Victoria, by the way. Old school. Yeah, baby. I like it. Well, you know, there's nothing finer. <laughs> that and basket weave. Uh, you know, start rolling up there. And next thing you know, we come around the corner with lights and sirens. People start breaking out of and course. start running through a yeah. field. Well, I don't know what's going to happen next, but this guy ends up popping a curb mm-hmm. and starts driving through a field after like these two dudes that were running. Yeah. Right. So he ends up like coming up to where this dude was at, opens up his door and does that thing with the crown Vic, like where you throw it in park while it's still driving. It would go, <laughs> but it would stop eventually. That's eventually. Yeah. Right. So it was almost like, it's not supposed to do that, but it's like a feature, you know, cops yeah. love that, you know, the, <laughs> if I really have to bail out, we can. Yes. Um, so he does that. And then almost like a ninja move is already on top of this dude and like has him detained, throws him in the back, starts driving back to go get another one. Mm. So, you know, long story long, the, the dust starts settling and yeah. we end up kind of like, he's showing me some more stuff in the police car later. The guy's already in jail. And I say, man, I was like, that's incredible. That was so You cool. know, that was so much. And he says, I said, you do this every night? And he goes, yeah. Yeah. I said, man, how much money do you make a year? He goes, check it out. $31,000 a year. Oh, and dude, I'm 16 years old. And I'm like, whoa, you know how so much, much stuff I could do with $31,000, man? Like, I just rely on my grandma to send me, you know, a $20 yeah. bill for my birthday to do what I need to do. Yep. <laughs> $31,000 to a 16-year-old kid and you get to do cool stuff. That's right. Like, what, what could be what could be better? Why would you not want to be a cop? You know, you so know. that's kind of how it started. I ended up joining, actually joining the Police Force program. Got, got yeah. bit hard by the bug. Um, then it came time, you know, graduated high school, got to go to college. So I ended up going, um, for a criminal justice degree, um, ended up being on the track team up there, throwing javelin, um, went all the way through that graduated early or was going to graduate early, end up getting another degree for communications because I didn't want to only do college in two and a half years, you know, (laughs) um, ended up getting a job with, uh, university police department and they ended up, uh, putting me into uh the academy they actually paid me through the academy which was that's a good gig relatively rare at the time well i guess that's worth talking about at the time yeah. this 2011 everybody wanted to be a cop um, yeah. oil and gas um was i believe on the way down a little mm. bit so there was a lot of guys um thrown into the the workforce yeah i remember going to irving well let me back up comes time to graduate probably look for a job and i'm figuring like oh you know i got a degree mm-hmm. got no criminal record i'm just pretty much going to apply to whatever police department i want to yep. and those be like oh we're glad to have you Welcome come on aboard. come on down you yep. know not the case at the time right that's kind of foreign to think about where we are now but at the yeah. time um you couldn't like you were it was competitive yeah it was super competitive i showed oh, yeah. up to irving pd uh because they had six spots available and i was like man that gives me a really, really good chance to get in. I show up for this civil service test and there's 350 guys wrapped around a high school, half of which are Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, right? Um, so I go in, I take the test. I would do the physical thing. Um, you know, at the time I was very in very, very good shape. Um, I placed like 65th out of 
350 guys. And they said anyone who's military gets five extra points on the civil service as well. That's nice. So I'm like, oh, well, cool. Well, these guys are super squared away. You know, nothing, obviously, you know, <laughs> yes, veterans, they serve our country. They deserve mm-hmm. the first. I have no problem with that. I just was yeah. like, what am I supposed to do? You know, exactly. like, why am I yeah, even here? Exactly. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, that was, that was the, the, at the time you just really couldn't get a job. And I ended up my, my wife at the, uh, my wife, uh, my girlfriend at the time was going to for, uh, civil engineering. So, um, what a great gig, you know, go be a campus cop while she's finishing up school and we'll just figure it out after that, you know? Um, so ended up going and doing that, went through the Academy and, uh, yeah, just next thing you know, I'm released on the streets and I'm a full fledged card carrying police officer at university very nice so i've never been a, a university cop what's yeah. what's that like though like is it yeah you, i know you've worked at some different agencies which we'll get into absolutely but how does being a university cop differ from being like a, a city cop or a, a county deputy just in the obviously the environment's different because you have a population that's rotating uh pretty much you know you lose a quarter of your population every semester right every every school year uh, because they're leaving so it's very very hard to identify patterns identify uh people that are doing things um but it's a lot of alcohol based (laughs) crime right so no uh we were right across the street from uh northgate um and i was actually assigned to be a bike cop that's bicycle not motorcycle (laughs) not not the motor the one you use your legs for um (laughs) and on the surface you know you think 21 jump street you know kind of lame um but the (laughs) bar district was wild man it's just college kids you know having a good time you know doing the thing oh yeah i'm sure and it was kind of wild for me because at the time i was just recently removed from I would have been one of the patrons, you know, over there hanging out. And then all of a sudden, like I'm transported into this world where I'm 22 now. And all of a sudden, like, oh, you're the you're the college kids. I'm the adult cop now all of a sudden. But the bike unit, man, it was uh, it was more kind of like mounted patrol. So usually at the end of the night when it would shut down, we would just line up like, I don't know, eight, 10 deep side by side and just go clear out, uh, clear out the, uh, the area. And yeah, the bikes did have uh, little sirens and uh, little red and blue lights on them that you could activate. It was probably like, I don't know, <laughs> a little bit louder than your cell phone, maybe. Um, okay. So wee, yeah, wee, wee. I was going to ask that. I was like, you know, when you're on, when you're on bicycle patrol, like, like do you get into pursuits? Absolutely, man. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of tactical advantage to it. Cause you're not in a huge Tahoe. Um, you're relatively yeah. silent and how often has like everyone who's listening, like just think in your mind, how often has a bicycle cop just rolled up on you? It's mm. relatively rare, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. <laughs> um, there's a lot of things that you can catch, you know, hand to hands, um, you know, kids drinking when they shouldn't be, or people trying to bring alcohol out of the bar and giving it to some like, you know, getting in cars. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. Well, of course, DWIs was <laughs> everywhere down there but um yeah. i remember one time specifically we had a uh, a call for a fight inside the hookah lounge anyone from mm. area will uh, understand what that place is kid was causing problems um they kicked him out we come around the corner next thing you know he's tearing out right and he like he almost like jumps out of the of the room and he goes like this he he goes like looking either way and then he just takes off running <laughs> So I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's probably our dude right there, you know? Most likely. So I start going after him, you know, on the bike, you know, standing up, 
on the pedals for extra power. Right. You know, yes. and he sees us coming and he starts running faster. You know, now he's gone to this area where there's less people so we can really get after him. Everybody's mm-hmm. like saying, stop police, you know? Yeah. And he just committed too long to looking at us instead ah. of focusing on where he was going to run. So there's a Catholic church, um, a couple blocks down with a huge wrought iron fence. And he's just looking over his shoulder like this, running, running, running. And next thing you know, <laughs> boom, lights out on the ground. Just <laughs> ran smooth into that with the back of his head. That is nice. Yeah. Um, you know, we'd also do this thing where if there was a problem or a fight breaking out, you would you would ride your bike really fast towards them. And then you would almost do like a power slide, which uh, we had a term, <laughs> yeah. an in- industry term called shock and awe. Shock and awe. So, <laughs> you yes. know, there's nothing that... Uh, you know, really breaks up a fight like a, a guy like me in shorts above my knees, uh, just doing a little <laughs> power slide of justice to uh, there you go. to break something up. Got like the the Reno nine one one. Absolutely, shorts. yeah. You know, new boot goofing, maybe new you know? boot goofing. Absolutely. And uh, there's there's another time I'll, I'll never forget it. We were heading back because we would ride the bikes from the PD to to our assigned areas, usually like three or four miles. Yeah. Um. You know, once you. Uh, snake through campus and everything uh, but there was this one guy it was like this tunnel that goes uh, next to the field and we're coming down and it's actually you know it's like three four in the morning there's nobody out there except for this one kid and we're coming down the hill you know we used to always like race because it's a pretty significant incline so okay yeah. we would go down there just doing goofy stuff and this one kid down there was he like he saw us coming and he was just going no 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 bike cops very nice yeah get your own theme music so yeah the uh you know that was that was good times now it wasn't all bike cops over right yeah you know we were you know on a given game day we could have 90 to a hundred thousand people in town you know kind of everything would swell it sounds like there's like gonna be big spikes in like population yeah, that you're dealing absolutely. with so. and they come from all over you know you know yeah. we had mandatory overtime for uh game days um just anything and anything anything mm. and everything could happen of course uh, those days you know um how much of an emphasis they put on terrorism when they with those games or with you well you know the there's trouble? actually atf rules out um they generally have three or four bomb sniffing dust i know um i guess probably within the last five years they actually all the dogs that are are um i think they only have one narcotics dog if not none and the rest Mm -hmm. are bomb sniffing because that's what they need you know because you're going to want to clear the stadium a couple times before the game i know that um there's always overwatch you know there's always Mm -hmm. people up there with the the scoped rifles and stuff (laughs) and then you know sexy stuff yeah and dps is involved it's mm-hmm. you know it's it's a smooth running machine they have a whole command center set up just for the game day so you have campus dispatch and then a another dispatch set up just for the game operations that makes sense yeah, yeah it's yeah. very it's very squared away very organized yeah um and it's it's overtime so you know everyone likes that extra extra down cash that. down with that <laughs> absolutely so how long were you there like how long were you a guy i don't know it was um uh, i'd say a little a little a little over two years i would say okay um you know my thing was and this will be kind of a recurring theme in my (laughs) career all right um i i absolutely love law enforcement i live breathe eat 
all of that. That's what I wanted my life to be. I wanted to be of service. I still do. Um, wanted to be of service and um, help people, man. Like everyone says it as like some cliche, but that actually is something that drives me. It's something that I feel in my core that yeah. when I can actually help somebody. We've we've talked about that on this podcast yeah. before where like there's a lot of things that that sound really cliche or they're really corny, mm-hmm. but most stuff like that is is that way because there's a lot of truth to it. But yeah, like you ask most like pretty much everyone who applies to be a cop mm-hmm. somewhere when they're like, hey, like what why do you want to be a cop? Why, why do you want to do this job? And I'd be like, well, well, like I, I want to help people. I want to, you know, I want to protect and serve. So corny, so cliche. Everyone says that. But a lot of the times it's true. I mean, yeah, I don't even think you know what helping people looks like when you first start out. Like, Absolutely. I think you have yeah. an idea in your head yeah. of what helping people is going to look like. And then you get in law enforcement yeah. and you help people, but it's a totally different version than yes. what you perceived it to be. And yeah. it's, it's, for anyone listening at home who's not law enforcement, it is, I guarantee you, unless you have a loved one who's just spent hours and hours and hours telling you stories and what it's like, you don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to explain. It's not like the movies where we're solving crimes in 30 minutes or we know where the bad guy is or we're like all going to be all, you know, yeah. busting into the door with, you know, by the end of the episode and, and solving the crime. These things take yeah. months. These things take years. And the end of the day, a lot of times we resemble more like a social worker than yes, we do like, yeah. you know, Rambo cop. What do they say? Mm-hmm. The uh, police work is 98% boredom and 2% terror. Right. So it's, it's, then that's very true. Like, you know, just like we got surprised with, you know, Prowler last night, it happens at any time. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the public thinks that this all action all the time and like we're out there, you know, do it's, it's not like that. It's, it's not normally because when society has problems that they don't have an answer for, it falls in the cops laugh. And y'all have said that specifically on this podcast. I remember that. Yeah. And it's so true. And helping people can be just talking to somebody. And a lot of times it is. And that who knows what that prevents. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Just just showing somebody that you care and you'll take the time to listen to their story or try to talk them through something. And that's like you said, it's it's like a counselor. It's these a variety of hats that and they can teach it in the academy. But until you get on the street and start working with it, you you don't. Mm -hmm. Again, it's just not a version of you don't realize what helping people looks like until you become a cop as far as yeah. in the law enforcement spectrum, Absolutely. helping people, uh, well, it's, it's just something different. Yeah. And to your point of, you know, it's not always like just constant super action calls or anything mm-hmm. like every once in a while, like you get called to like, Hey, there's a dude and he's, he's out at this store and he's high on meth and he's got a knife or a gun or, or he's just twisting off and it's wild. Right. But the thing is that when cops are out on the streets and they're doing their jobs, mm-hmm. so much preventative work is done. Like if you're out there and you're yeah. interdicting and looking for drugs and you make a big bust or whatever, right. well, you're, there's no way to quantify it. You're never going to know. Absolutely. There's no crime yeah. stats on crimes that prevented. didn't happen. Yes. Right? Yeah. Crimes that yeah. were prevented, man. Mass mm-hmm. mass shooting events that cops yeah. have thwarted just mm-hmm. for doing their job as a, as a good traffic cop. Yes. Stopping the fentanyl that's coming mm-hmm. in. Stopping that car that has... The girl that in the back is a little bit different and you decide yeah, to dig deeper and you decide exactly. to ask more questions and you find mm-hmm. someone in human trafficking. Well, I, yeah. I think a lot of that is is lost nowadays. Well, there's no attention yeah. paid to it because it doesn't yeah. fit. So it's not it's not sensational. It's not high right. speed. Yeah. Uh, maybe to the media it's a little bit boring. doesn't right. fit a certain narrative. And so the, the yeah. uh, mass shooting that was prevented, that's not put out there much. It Correct. might be, yeah. you know, you might get 15 seconds Correct. of that on a news yeah. bit. 
But if it's if it it does succeed, if you will, on that, then it's all it's over. Yeah. But they don't talk yeah. about what was prevented, how, and why it was prevented. They yeah. leave that alone, or right. it's it's lightly touched at the most. We're we're one of the few professions that actively work against our own relevance. Yes. Right. So if we're yeah. doing everything right, nothing mm-hmm. happens. It's yes. a quiet night. We're just sitting here in this house. We don't have to worry about ruffians coming in the front door and robbing <laughs> yeah. us in the night. Um, it's it's such a necessary part of how we have set up our American culture. Yeah. And with the erosion of that nowadays, yes, the culture is suffering and you can see it everywhere. Yeah. And that's... There, there's little argument to be made there. Like there is a big societal shift going on Absolutely. right now. It's been going on for a while, but I think now it, we're really kind of to make kind of a, a common and maybe poor analogy, but it, it's almost like we're going over the hill now. Sure. Like it's been built up for a long sure. time and now we're starting to kind of rapidly see the other side of that. Right. But, um, It'll be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, the- absolutely. And I think, you know, says we are a reflection. Mm-hmm. We are a cross-section of the society of which we protect. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So as society goes down in morals, as society goes down in what they value, mm-hmm. that's going to be reflected in your police forces. Yes. Everybody right now is having hiring issues. Mm-hmm. You have people who are lowering standards to let people in. Yeah. And so these problems that we accused cops of 2015 to now, mm-hmm. you're actually going to start seeing them. Yes. You well, know? when you see that in your laws, too, because yeah. the, the, That's they, they start yeah. reducing the penalties, yep. they start re, uh, this yeah. uh, eliminating some yeah. things that, that uh, once were illegal, and then it just makes everything mm-hmm. more acceptable. Yeah, just a, a, a decline in uh, society means a decline in law enforcement yeah. and then decline in, in safety. There has to be there has to be somebody there mm-hmm. that you can call at yeah. the end of the day. And that person needs to be competent. They need to be motivated. Yes. And they need to be skilled in the situation yeah. because well trained. Exactly. Because yeah. it's it's always a roll of the dice. Mm-hmm. What you're gonna what you're gonna encounter. Mm-hmm. The perfect example is, you know, to bring it back to Yeah. We were somehow I don't know how all this stuff was organized. Universities are weird because they were formed after the uh the tower shooter in UT back in the 60s. Oh, okay, yeah. So after that, the legislature of Texas decided that every single university, state-funded university in the state of Texas will have their own police force. Cool. Down with it. All right. So at, we had a lot of different responsibilities. For example, um, on, on night shift, we would uh, have a, nu- a nuclear research reactor that we had to check to make sure you know, the gates are locked. There's nobody like cutting holes in the fence. And it the, sounds the, important. It does. And it's, and they give you a Geiger counter, you know, so that if the radiation levels were too high, the thing would start beeping. I, I don't know. I guess go take some vitamin C or something. I, I don't know what you the don't. remedy is to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so right next to that was the airport, um, which, okay. you know, at, at it's, it's a decently sized airport, you know, one or I think like three or four gates. Um, American Airlines, I don't know if they do it now, but they used to fly in and out of there. So somehow, some way, we were in charge of the airport as well, working with TSA. One night we get a call that there was a breach in the perimeter fence out at the end of the runway. Some guy had driven his car through the fence. Um, You know, that kind of thing could happen. Drunk guy got lost, you know, went in, you know. So we go up there, we start looking, find the car. There's no one around. 
Next thing we know, we get another call saying that the TSA agent is in an active fight with this dude at the airport. Okay. So by this point, we had left where the hole was and the car had to drive around like maybe a mile and a half to get to where the terminal gate was to try to gain access to the airport. Well, it's an airport. They're they're not <laughs> they're not exactly meant to have easy access to, especially yeah. when they're shut down at night. Not a super permissive. And I don't know how site. this happened either, but there was only one TSA agent watching the whole thing at night. So there's a, this guy is loose out there. The TSA agent actually takes a shuttle bus out to the tarmac to confront this guy. Goes out there. They start doing fisticuffs. He actually ends up relieving the TSA agent of the shuttle bus. And he takes it over and drives it to an airplane that was waiting on, uh, for its flight to Dallas the next morning. An American Airlines airplane. Okay. So this guy drives it, steals from the TSA agent, leaves him in the middle of the tarmac, drives all the way back over to where the terminal is, right? So it goes across the taxiway, all this stuff. And it's not an active airport at the time. It's shut down for the night. Okay. Yeah, there's not like, and there's nobody else there. It's like three in the morning. Like it's not, there's nothing there. So by this time I'm coming up to the fence and it's this, I don't even know, had to be 15 foot high fence with like the razor wire stuff on the top. Cause they don't want anyone getting in there, but it was a big gate that I guess they could open up for like, I don't know, extra fire units or something like that. So I go up to this thing and I'm like, maybe I can shimmy up and go in between so I can go help this TSA agent. Um, Cause there's no way we're getting the cars in there. And so I nose up, the I think it was a Chevy Caprice at the time. We can talk about the Chevy Caprice <laughs> with the six liter V8 um, mm. later. But uh, nose that thing up to it, and I climb on that, and I clamber up to where the the chain is standing there, and I was able with my skinny self, uh, yeah. bust through there. So I get down, I start running over, and um, I find the TSA agent is still fighting this dude underneath the jet bridge that would lead you into an airplane. So I roll up there. Um, I go and, you know, basically subdue the guy, put him down. You know, the TSA agent is by this point is just gassed. Older, older gentleman. Um, so we get this dude hooked up. He starts um, kind of talking crazy. And what was weird is that he had a fully packed suitcase, like he was going to go somewhere. And the mm-hmm. TSA agent later would tell me that he had actually gain, tried to gain access and was successful in gaining access to the airplane because they put seals on the doors when they're unattended on just sitting out on a, you know, I don't know what the technical word is, the tarmac. Okay. Um, yeah. So they can see if it's been tampered with. Well, that seal was broken and this guy was actually in the airplane at some point. So they had to check really? all that, do all these checks and stuff before it was able yeah, to fly yeah. out the next morning. So talk about flight delays. <laughs> um, you know, so when he comes back down, I noticed he, he had the suitcase. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing, man? Like yeah. what, what's going on? He's, he's obviously out of it. Well, he said he was going to fly from to Seattle, Washington so that he could fly the plane into Bill Gates's house, Bill Gates, uh, uh, the CEO and founder of Microsoft. There you go. And I was like, uh, why would you, why would you want to do something like that? And he mm-hmm. says, well, um, back in the uh, late eighties, um, he stole my idea for the computer mouse. You know, uh, because back before you actually could click on stuff, you just do command lines uh, into a Hmm. computer. I was like, okay, all right. Well, you know, I'm sorry that happened to you, but what was your plan? He's like, well, I was going to take that plane and fly it. I was like, do you have a pilot's license? Like, no, (laughs) I don't, not at all. 
And then by this point, I'm like, all right, we have a mental crisis on our hands. So we go, Perhaps. we start doing the whole thing. And turns out this dude is just horribly, horribly addicted to uh, hydrocodone. Okay. And he was having, I guess, very much so a delusion uh, at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But just, just crazy stuff like that, that people don't realize that that walks among us. Yes. Every single day, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Absolutely, man. So that was, that was kind of (laughs) nuts. That sounds nuts. And I guess kind of the worst part too, you know, you talk about cops, you know, I'm not like, you know, the pinnacle of human health or something, but I can, I'm somewhat in shape so that I can help somebody else. Right. You have cops, like, especially in this situation, I jumped that fence to the airport and I was fighting with the dude. Well, what if he would have started beating me? I see two cops showing up to try to back me up, see where I went over the fence. And literally the guy looks at the fence and is like, there's no way. And you see him like just kind of throw his hands up and try to go around another way, you know? So that's critical time where just physicality would have, well, you gotta be fit. Could have been a bad situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't have to be a, I mean, would it be ideal for all cops to be Olympic level athletes? Yeah, of course. But realistically, that's not, that's not going to happen, but you do need to be in a a certain physical state where you can hop over fences. You can chase people, you can fight people, you can, do that sort of thing so society society expects that of us yes you know if, if we really take that oath that we're mm-hmm. going to do that it's it's definitely something to consider where you're not doing yourself any favors and mm-hmm. you're not doing them any favors by not taking care of yourself you know and i know a lot of cops um especially with dealing with the mental health side of things which we'll get into more later um but they pick up bad habits bad, bad habits to, to try to cope with a lot of those things. And what I found, and I wish I would have known this earlier in my life, but what I found now is just working out is some of the best mental health relief that you can get. You feel good. You get endorphins released into your body. You know, you're, you're tiring yourself out a little bit and in a positive way where in the back of your head, you know, us as cops, we're always putting everyone else first, society first, the job Mm -hmm. first, the, 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 the problem, the who needs me right now. And I think that's something that if you can go do for yourself, that can keep you a lot better balanced, you know, so you can go out and be the best cop that you it's, need to be. It's a win-win. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you are doing something for yourself. Yeah. And at the same time, you're bettering yourself to go back out there and serve others. So, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. So I guess, you know, a lot of people are going to question. Um, I've had four different departments in 10 years okay i am what you would call a gypsy cop right and that used to be such a such a cuss word yes in our profession now nowadays you'll that's normal it's common yeah Yeah. and so i kind of i feel like i've lived on on two distinct sides of law enforcement um 2015 uh ferguson missouri being the center point of that um so not to get too much into it now because we'll kind of it'll be a reoccurring theme but um, you know, from 20, uh, 2012 to 2015 was one way of being a cop. And then you started seeing the culture shift and the societal shift when that happened. One of the most eerie things to me and not to skip ahead was I'm out here in the panhandle, um, working as a deputy off of a 287 middle of nowhere, middle of the night, see a car. I think it was tail lighters out or something go and pull them over. Next thing you know, they pop out of the car, which for cops, you pop that door, like that's what's coming after that is usually not good. You know, it's usually, usually not. It's usually yeah. going to, you're either going to produce a weapon or we're going to start running. 
mm-hmm. right? The stay in the car is, is a very important thing. And if you're not a cop and you happen to be listening to this, don't get out of the car until you're asked, please. Um, <laughs> so they get out of the car and they literally put their hands up and say, hands up, don't shoot. And they just started chanting it at me. And I, I had kind of heard some stuff on the news about this at mm. some point, And I was just like, what are y'all talking about? And at first I was kind of, I was really cool about it. I was like, Oh, that's, that's kind of nice. You know, hands up their, their hands are up here. You know, at, that's great for me. You're not reaching for stuff that we're accomplishing yeah. what I would like to accomplish, which is a safe traffic interaction, mm-hmm. you know? So cool. But it was just so eerie to me that in the middle of nowhere in the panhandle that had nothing to do with this, this injustice that was in Ferguson, Missouri, or as people perceived it, as people perceived it, as people perceived it. Right. Mm-hmm. And what, what did I have to do with that? You know, it was, Nothing. it was very, very strange, man. Um, I'd never really experienced anything quite like that. And that's, you know, like I said, I jumped ahead, but well, that's kind of when I knew that this is going to be different. This mm-hmm. is, this is going to be, kind of a a new pattern where that's the norm where we just like oh that's a phase it's just everyone's going to get over it they haven't well hey i want to like it and to me it it hurts me i uh, and and that may sound silly or whatever but like i'm not a racist i don't treat people bad i mean sometimes we have to do what we have to do absolutely but i don't do any of that and and they put that on me and i I know you two guys i've worked with you two guys i know you're not like that either and it just it's unfair that right. we all get branded with something in which, I mean, uh, Ferguson what wasn't what they portrayed it to be anyway. Right. But, but these people have this notion. Some of them, uh, there's a lot of like good people that just have watched the news or been indoctrinated somehow that believe that yeah. we're, we're just like some type of killers, some sure. enemies. We're not trying to help people. And they believe that. And it's really sad that you pull somebody over and they're legitimately afraid. Yes. And they're not bad mm. people. They're not criminals. Yes. They're yep. just they believe that that their life is in danger the entire time the the duration of the encounter we're having with them whether it be a traffic stop or whatever type of call yeah and that's sad because that's not who and what we are at least the vast majority of us and yet we're branded with that and it goes against everything that that i and i know you guys have tried to work for in law enforcement and yet we can't shake it and we'll never i don't know that we ever will be able to that's just the way it is now and to my point earlier, you're going to see more of those situations happening as the lowering of the standards continues or yeah. the burnt outness of these cops that have been working overtime for two and a half years because they can't fill seats. Well, both of those things. Yeah. 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 So they're not, they're not, they're missing out on family time. They're missing out mm-hmm. on the soccer games, the baseball games, yeah. the plays, the recitals. And I'm sure if they're married, their spouse is going to be upset with the extra time they're gone. Yes. If you're in these smaller places that don't necessarily pay, yeah, overtime's cool, but that still can only equal, you know, $31, $32 an hour. Well, and as society declines and more, for lack of a better term, high-speed shit happens, sure. the more likely uh, law enforcement is to get in right. uh, encounters where they have to use more force. And so, I mean, the wilder it is, the, the more – it's like an officer that's going out there making more traffic stops, right. taking more calls, getting into more stuff. He's much more likely to have – uh, use of force because he's sure. just doing more things just by the numbers that's yep. the way it's going to be well even if you're an officer that's rolling out there just catching calls and that's all you do you're not progressive still 
the more th- calls are coming across that radio, the more opportunity, not opportunity is not a good word, but the more likelihood you're going to have to get into a hands-on situation or something, regardless of how well your verbal judo skills are, you know, how calm you are. It, it's, sometimes you can't control it. The situation just, that's just what it, uh, what it breeds. Right. The, yeah. the big paradigm of, of today is there's never been a time where society needs competent, kind, compassionate cops who actually love their community to go out and take care of them. But at the same time, that same society, if you are not 100%, if you screw up, you're done. Yeah. We're going to bury you. We're going to take your, we're going to take your money. We're going to take your pension. We're going to put you in prison. And we talked yeah. about this on a previous podcast, but um, there's other professions and not knocking them, just basically stating right. facts, but like the medical profession, right? you don't see, I mean, there's, there's mistakes that happen there. Okay. Tragic. Right. Uh, but you don't, there, there's not, buildings right. don't burn over yeah. it. Like, nobody right. knows about it. There's not cameras in the surgical area. There's not cameras in the ER. They're not seeing how this, you know, these mistakes yeah. unfolded, but us we're, you know, maybe the same type of mistakes in a way and, and it's just put all over the news and, and it's, it's like it's on yeah. purpose and there's all these things and people just feed off of it like it's a drug Are they yeah and the media does because it's i guess because it, it sells well, advertisement or absolutely some- and they they get to create the tone right so we have csi miami we have law and order we have mm-hmm. you know um whatever cop show you want to you know rookie you know yeah. you know reno 911 all the documentaries you know <laughs> yeah. um real life you, yeah. you you have them playing both sides of the card so they're setting up the entertainment which is the fun like the public like what they yeah. get to see us do and then whenever that expectation is not met because that's what Big people problem, are expecting yeah. Now you're just the guy who couldn't get a job anywhere else. You're the high school bully who never got <laughs> yeah. his time in the sun. And you want to, and there are cops that exist like that. Just sure. like there's people in your job that exist like that. Cause we're a cross section of society. Well, you know, and kind of on, on that note, I want to get into that a little bit. Sure. But real quick, we're going to take a break. All right, we're back from the break. Uh, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off. Um, we're we're kind of starting to get into a, a topic of talking about um, some cops being bullies who really don't need to be cops and stuff like that. But we're going to kind of slide back into where we were. So there we go. Yeah. You All want, right. You want to pick that up? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Okay. So I guess the overall theme that we're trying to relay here is there's today there's going to be a sliding rule, a cross section, a Venn diagram of you know, society needs this. Uh, they need this kind of cop. They need the psychologist. They need the the marriage counselor. They need the social worker, the the CPS person who's who's tender with kids. You know, um, they need that. And at the same time, the person who would be capable of such things, you're not going to pay them very well, right? You're not going to support them and let them have room to grow. Let them have room to make mistakes because you have to be a hundred percent, right? There's yes, there's the FTO period. There's the yeah. some diffusion of responsibility. Well, my FTO told me to do it, right? There's there's some of that, but as soon as you're out on your own, yeah. you're expected to be on. Well, and it's a frankly, it's a ridiculous expectation sure. because, like, the training that you're going to get in most police academies right. is good quality training. It's very good. There's just not near enough of it. Sure. So like you're going through an academy and like now you're you're pretty well trained but you're not really experienced or anything but like you're getting out on the streets and yeah now you're expected to 
operate every day at sure. 100% this very high level in a very complicated job. And for the training that you're provided and then the job you're expected to do, it does not match. Right. And, you know, I, I had toyed with the idea, you know, when all this was going down, I'm like, just, it was eating me alive the same way it bothered you guys. I'm sure. Um, you know, with the society, you know, how society thinks about cops and I'm like, okay, do this fire half the cops, pay them all double and train them like Navy SEALs. Right. So that high level of, we can go into a community we can ingratiate ourselves with the community. We can see their needs, help them reach their goals, and also reach our own. Okay. I, I think it's – I don't think it's that simple because, like, uh, Navy SEALs, excellently trained, right. but they don't – they've never gone into a house with some a couple of meth heads, you right. know, in a domestic, and then tried to figure out what they could do for the child that was Absolutely. there, which, which we still have all the, all the answers for that. But it's it's even different than highly trained military people with sure. – with, very good educations it's uh you're talking about the police academies i don't yeah they could be longer and they could be more training in them but until you get on the street and start sure. doing the job and experience certain yep. things yeah because you can't replicate that it's not something you can That's replicate in any type of because we do scenarios sure. in the academy they even have you know rooms set up like like they're in a house and all this stuff and that helps but the reality of dealing with those type of clusters in real life right. or what start building you and cementing you in, in, in your experience in law enforcement. And that just helps you actually doing the job helps you better than anything else. I mean, I you need the that. basis of the Academy yeah. to get the laws down and get kind of general operations down, but just experience from call to call over time, you grow with that and, and become a better officer and more competent sure. and, and typically a better problem solver, a better, better verbal judo. And that's the, that's the side to clarify a little bit. That's the side that I'm referring to, right? The level of training that a Navy SEAL would go through versus what a cop goes through, right? You know, you talk right. about the number of hours that it takes to be a police officer going through academy. Um, I know when I went through, it was something like 700, something. I think it's my T cool reported hours was 700 hours, something like that. Um, I don't know the exact figure. Maybe it's something we could look up on the fly. But um, I could probably find what it. the average time for a Texas licensed beautician is, how long it takes them to get their license, how much training they have to go through just to cut hair. Um, it's many, yeah. many, many, many more hours than taking someone off the street and making them a cop. And so I feel like academies today are set up for what the job of law enforcement ideally should be. I think a lot of times we are thrown into situations that should not be police situations. Mental health is, is a big one. Or you got garbage disposal is right. what we are. I mean, it was just, mm. I, we don't know what to do with this. Right. Send Call the cops. The cops. cops. Right. Yep. Well, I know a specific story. Um, I guess we're, you know, um, before we go into that, I guess to keep, to keep the timeline rolling, cause we'll, we'll, we can talk on this a lot. Um, but you know, to wrap up my time at, um, yes. and kind of a, an overarching theme in my career is I would always try to put myself in the best situation to catch the most crime. And the yeah. way that I can say that is, is like, okay, it, it, there are aspects of being a cop that absolutely suck. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if I'm going to, in my mind, if I'm going to be sacrificing myself, time with my family, time with, you know, my body being torn up, my never sleeping, right? Having yeah. sleep disturbances from PTSD, yeah. all those kind of, if I'm going to do that, 
then I'm not going to waste the opportunity that I have had to be here and be a cop. And as a side note, and maybe it's the main theme, people don't realize the mountain of work that it takes for a cop just to arrive on your scene to take care of your problem. You don't see the studying. You don't see the academy. You don't see the experience. You don't see the times that he did fail, Mm -hmm. he or she failed, and succeeded past that and learned and developed. You don't see all of that whenever someone just arrives on your scene and you just expect them to be some keystone cop out here. You know, you never... Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's one of those things, man. Well, you talk about not seeing things, and I don't remember that. Uh, you guys, both of you, probably watched this video, and it was several years ago. There was a uh, Fort Worth. I don't know if it's Fort Worth, some kind of Metroplex officer that uh, he was chasing a kid and, and like did some kind of barrel roll, and it was real. I don't. Did you either one? You know what I'm talking about? You mean it, like he was chasing a kid? I think he was running from a pool, and he like rolled over. Yeah, like rolled over. But the 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 that officer, it turns out, had been to like a couple of suicides that same day, that same shift. So he had all these things happen, right? So he's at a heightened sense, and he rolls up to a more minor type. Call, I see what you're talking about. But, but it was kids running from him. It was a neighborhood pool, I believe, in a Fort Worth uh, suburb. Yes, yeah, so that sounds correct. And we can get into my contract deputy days um, later, but. It's a master plan community that has a access controlled HOA pool and somehow some way 300, 400 kids start showing up at this pool and doing what kids do, you know, throwing the chairs in the, in the water, making mess, you know, ripping up the building, whatever. So the cops were called. Well, they start going out there, right. And kids start jumping over things, running from stuff and the cops react accordingly. And that cop who had, been in a horrible day that was the lightning rod that he decided to go against we see that a lot right because um we we see it but the public and the media the general citizen the media doesn't see it nor do they understand it they they you come to their call and they think you're completely fresh or you hadn't seen right. somebody's brains fanned out all over a a wall behind them (laughs) right right and And, well you talk about you know going back to the theme of we have to be 100 percent all the time because if not you end up on national news and to some extent i'm not downplaying rightfully so rightfully so we should have competent cops in this country our our democracy (laughs) depends on it i mean it's a critical thing but like you talk about you know my experience county that's that's where um happened right you know and that was trooper who pulled her over and that you know talking to people who knew him um i don't know him personally um but talking to people knew him he was always cool calm collected trooper never really got riled up was your typical not even the kind of trooper that we think of we're like registration expired you know like you're gonna <laughs> yep we're gonna tow you off for the one month you're over not not like that no mm-hmm. i love you troopers you know texas tan we'll get into that later <laughs> but um you know he just had a bad day man and mm-hmm. that you know with the cigarette man like that was the issue yeah that he keyed up on yeah that was the straw and, that broke and how the they bag. how they got him was on perjury oh because okay. in his probable cause statement you know you take him to jail for those who aren't cops you arrest somebody you take him to jail you write a probable cause statement that is forwarded to a judge who magistrates them and that is the fail safe for false arrest so the judge yeah. looks at it there's probable cause here that a crime has been committed or is likely been committed, and mm-hmm. then you can retain yourself in jail with a bond and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So in this process said that about the cigarette that he could have been burned by it. It was a threat. You know, that's why he 
keyed up on that. Mm. Yeah, maybe that could happen, right? Yeah. But that was the detail with a politically charged situation that he's not a cop anymore. Mm-hmm. When you talk about how he's a state trooper, how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars did the state pour into that man? Oh, for him to be out here and protecting. And also, he's yeah. in a relatively good duty station. It's not like, you know, mm-hmm. just out in, you know, no offense, Comanche, Texas or something, you know, like yeah. it's just it's it's well, right next to Houston. You know, it's not it's not a bad yeah. place to be. But a lot of people don't realize, like, if you have a bad day where let's say your job is customer service and you just you just give a lady the business on the phone, mm-hmm. you're not going to go to prison for that. No, no. You're not going to lose your career for that. Exactly. And we're not excusing bad behavior, Absolutely but what we're talking not. about, like put yeah. the, the Fort Worth, or I don't know, if, I, I don't know if it's Fort Worth, but put the Metroplex guy, uh, bring that story back sure. up. You got to put it in context what he saw before. And, we're, and I, I also agree because I've had to go, we all have had to do one call and then go into something else like immediately. Yeah. But let's equate it like this. How fair would it be to have like some uh, maybe Olympic runner run a mile race right and then three minutes later okay hey we're gonna do the olympics again and you got to run a mile race right now right. but all these other people you're gonna run against are fresh yeah. see you don't have the ability to it's not like a boxing match where you, you get a a, a break right. it's not or uh what would you get? like some kind of sporting event where you send in alternates right like when you get the call and have to go deal with something it doesn't matter what you dealt with right before and i think i talked about it on the the first podcast we did about that horrific wreck i was on where these, sure. the children had burned we got done with all that. I won't leave the scenario because I think I've told it before, but I was out there for hours. People had literally burned alive in a vehicle. My next call was somebody was pissed off because there was a dog in their yard. Right. That, that wasn't theirs. It just had roamed over there under their property. That is. And the and lady thought. Them, she, yeah. And to them, it was the worst thing it's in the, the world. It's the worst thing that's happened. I'm like, yeah, lady, I, like just saw, I just saw literally burned children and, her, and I, the screams of the parents still live in my head today. Right. And you're, you're mad at. Yeah, I mean, and, just, and that's very hard to change gears from. Yeah, and it, I don't think it's healthy. We it's, have to do it. We have to be able to to handle that. But people don't understand yeah. that. People don't understand those swings. And I think that I think that cop well, in the Metroplex had a lot of that going on that day with him because he's. I, my understanding was multiple suicides he went through that day, and then he had this call I've, with the kids in the pool. I've heard people before talk about this, and they say, "Well, uh, you know, they'll acknowledge this and say, okay." So cops, you know, they're they're getting this wild social whiplash where, yeah, they're going from like this awful car wreck and then they're dealing with the lady who's mad because their dog is in her yard. But I've heard people say, well, maybe the solution is, um, hey, well, when a cop responds to a, a traumatic situation or whatever, you know, they should just get some time off right after that. Like they shouldn't be on duty anymore. They should have time to decompress Ideally, that. that would be amazing. Yeah, but where do you Ideally. get all these cops? You don't <laughs> just shift exactly, these cops out to replace you when you have to exactly go take a break. Thing. Well, it's like. Most most all cops are already underpaid, and right. every agency could use more cops. But like the funding isn't there. Like these agencies, this department, right. sheriff's office, PD, whatever, they don't have an infinite amount of money to be like, oh, we have ten thousand police officers. Mm-hmm. So when one of them takes a hot call, he can be off for a few days and decompress, and we just replace him easily. Especially nowadays. Yeah, no, especially nowadays. There's all these shortages, so it's like you've got a very limited amount of guys. It's like, well. These calls for service, these emergencies and everything, they're going to keep happening. You need someone who's trained in stuff to show up. So that's how you wind up with having to, like, you go to this nasty suicide, you go to this nasty suicide, you go to this nasty car wreck, you fight a meth head, and then you deal with lady with a dog in her yard. And you have to just do all that. You're the you're the only one there. Hey, do you guys think so. that we get uh, kind of addicted to that? Because I want to use, like, yesterday's as, an, as a, an example. So we did the tornado thing. Yeah. We, we did this search and rescue. And then we sit in the parking lot. 
for you know however long you know waiting on, on some orders and it, eventually they're like hey we're going to release your group and you're going to go back and you can send another group you tomorrow talk, you want to talk about that because that's the part that i think a lot of people don't touch on well we that, 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 i was just I, I, as we were talking i was thinking about it so okay the adrenaline rush that i had uh yesterday yep. evening and, and that i get in pursuits and all this stuff it feels good and i like it and i want more of it right right and i had this uh, adrenaline from the search and rescue that we were doing and yep. it felt good and i felt that injection i'm very very familiar with it after 19 years i mean i'm like right. oh, okay here it, comes. here it comes oh yeah i like that for sure uh, <laughs> well when we were coming into town last night and we and we uh i guess kind of jumped that well we didn't jump it because there's another unit that that responded before we, we did but we're in the area of the <laughs> yeah we kind of did but uh of that that man with a gun call right honestly i'm yeah. like oh yeah because i was tired and i didn't have the adrenaline anymore and i was like oh yeah there's some more and we weren't like totally there's amped up or more. anything but bro i like i'm like ah oh, there's a little bit more in, into my body the fuck man is that even right so you know it's like this it's it's the pleasure center of your brain right and i'm not a psychologist by any means this is just my my cop brain understanding what i've been told um especially in the last year since i've been exited from law enforcement and we touched on this a little bit in the last couple of days where we've been hanging out where you get so used to the trauma you get so used to the drama. Mm-hmm. You get so used to all those things that it becomes a conditioned response, right? So the average person in their life will experience three to four traumatic events, parent dying, horrible car accident, someone close to them, super calamity. In the average law enforcement career, it's 800, 850, yeah. right? Like it's, it's one of those things where it takes an average of 36 hours at the minimum, at the minimum to recover from a traumatic event before your body is able to purge itself of that adrenaline, purge itself of that cortisol, the stress hormone from mm-hmm. your body, get back that oxytocin, get back that thing. And the, and the thing with cops is, especially with our schedules, I like the fact that y'all do 12s. Yes, the 12 hour sucks, right? Yeah. But it's the two days off. It's the three days off after that, where you do truly have more than 36 hours off to recover from that stuff. And also you guys pay enough up here where a lot of the cops don't feel like they have to go and do extra jobs mm-hmm. all the time. You know, they, they're, nice. they're well enough taken care of. But yeah. you to kind of circle back to what we were talking about earlier in the places that I have worked more metropolitan suburban areas. There is call to call to call. You'll show up on a yeah. shift. You go onto a computer and there's 30 calls pending mm-hmm. and you buy one. You just yeah. click on I'll go to that one. I'll yeah. go to that one. I'll go to that one. Right. And that's how the cops kind of separate themselves in those environments is because, you know, you will have your hard charters who will go pick the you know, the good call. And then you have you guys yeah. who really just want to get the paycheck, ride the parking yeah. lot. They'll take your, you know, your five hour old burglary. You Those know? guys are the worst. Yeah, they are. But, you know, it takes all types. You know, yeah. it just feels like nowadays we have more of the the parking lot surfers than we have. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I don't blame them because the only person who is going to get hurt by sticking their neck out is the cop. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I can't tell you how many times there's been where I've made the personal decision to risk myself more than I normally would because I felt like it was worth it. And that's a key point worthiness, right? Yeah. Um, we'll go back to that, but I've, I've put myself at risk at times where I think I was worth it, where I was somehow subconsciously okay with myself dying, my parents knowing that my wife knowing that my kids being orphans. Yeah. And what is that drive? What is that inside of a person who goes and puts himself on the line to do that. What I think it is with the adrenaline and the, um, you know, how we desire that it's almost like 
if you don't have that and you don't have that purpose in your life, you almost hate that more by living that normal, boring life than going out there and trying to do the right thing and putting your mark on the world. It gives you relevance. You're part of something bigger than yourself. You're part of something that's net good. And you can honestly say, I made my community better for my children. The one that they're going to grow up in. Because how many times, you know, we had talked about, you know, um, state of affairs in California, talking to California cops, especially when it comes to carjacking, no one fights back, right? No, everyone just society just lays over. And when you have cops out here who don't lay over and don't Mm -hmm. and do fight back, you know, society's not going to accept that in the mainstream. Yeah. Well, we've had that happen here, like in, in our area of Texas, where we've had folks from California who come into Texas and like we've had uh, vehicle pursuits with um, people like this. So we have someone from California who they come to Texas and they get involved in something bad. And next thing you know, cops trying to pull them over and they run when well, then they get caught later. And they're super upset because in their mind, we're not allowed to chase them. We can't touch them. Like we're not allowed to enforce anything. And we explain, you know, hey, this is a completely different state with like, we actually do enforce laws here. Absolutely. Well, I've so. been involved in several chases. And I think you have a, a couple with me where they have literally said, well, I didn't think y'all like, I didn't think right. you could chase me or I thought if yeah. I did this, you know, you're going to chase me. Not that we're going to get, you know, chase somebody through a school zone at three o'clock when all the kids are getting out of school. Yeah, I mean, we're not, we're not going to do yeah, that, but, reason. but uh, they just have this idea that, Hey, if I do this, you won't chase me. And that's come from policies and other agencies or other states where they've gotten away with it it's liability driven too Mm -hmm. you know a lot of times you have you know like counties have their own set of insurance and that's a little bit different but when you're talking about municipalities or campuses or schools there is a lot more administration above a chief and his Mm -hmm. decisions within a department to bring it back to and keep our timeline going yes uh when i started you know I started having problems up there because I was a young rookie, right? Mm-hmm. And at the time, they were trying to get accredited. Uh, I believe uh, CLIA stands in a CLIA or something stands in my mind. Okay. But one of the requirements was um, you had to show proof of, you know, basically policy. Bless you, policies you. being followed, and um, those sergeants also enforcing those policies. So me as a rookie, like for example, I was in FTO. Um, I was, I had my flashlight on a car, you know, my, my, my FTO is observing me and I dropped the flashlight and it rolls underneath the car. And it's just a little college girl that I'm talking to stopping or whatever. And so I say, Hey ma'am, and I make a joke. I'm like, don't run me over. I'm gonna grab my flashlight real quick. So I reach my hand underneath the car to go grab it. And you know, for a young cop, that's something you'd want to mention to him. I was like, Hey man, did you grow up with them? Did you go to high school with them? No, you don't know them. So don't trust anybody with your arm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't trust anybody with your life because it only takes one time for you to be wrong. You never know. Great stuff. Mm -hmm. Love it. Cool. But that was written down. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I started having problems at I have this file that's this big of rookie counselings, right? Nothing that's like untruthfulness, nothing that's like Stuffing no stuff Brady under. stuff. Nothing no, no, that no, would be Brady. Just silly no. rookie yeah. stuff, yeah. right? Like one time I remember, like, dude, I see this thing too. Like, you go to the academy, and what's the first thing your FTO tells you? Forget everything you learned in the academy, <laughs> brother. It's for real now. And that's yeah. a, you know, that's what they're trying to get to. But you know, I went one time. I caught two kids racing, so I arrested them for racing. 
They also had an open container in the car, so I charged them with an open container. Then I also charged them with MIP and DW, DUI minor. That's too many charges, right? The, but like that was just you don't know those things when you're a rookie because all the, the elements of the crime are all there. Yeah, right? they're that's, present. That's so when it comes to your supervisor you guiding you mm-hmm. or your DA guiding you mm-hmm. as to what is appropriate and what does that specific environment need. Yeah. So, prime example is uh, summertime. Um, kids are gone for the most part. You know, pretty chill. We had that a true shift briefing y'all have that here and it's actually kind of rare most of the time people check on from their houses and just go um but actually having a shift briefing we're all in one spot and then we go out you know do the shift pass along yeah there's that a, kind of an stuff. official muster for sure so. yeah so roll call as yeah, some people call. would call it yeah. um so we're in a roll call and i we had pool cars so i was always the one you know eager rookie would go out and set my car up first check it all that stuff get it ready to go why everyone else still was kind of drinking their coffee you know talking about the weekend what's going to go on so I'm already in my car, already patrolling, and a call drops at the top of a parking garage on West Campus, six stories tall. Um, a kid had called in and said, hey, I want to kill myself. I'm standing on top of the parking garage right now, and I want to talk to a cop. Cool. Down down to clown. Let's go. All right. So I'm already rolling there. I know the boys are getting ready, but they don't even got their stuff in their car yet, some of them. <laughs> so like I'm first by at least three or four minutes. Okay. So I go up to about the fifth floor, not the top, fifth floor shut it down. I didn't do lights and sirens all the way up because they didn't want to see me coming and like get desperate or whatever. So go up inside, shut down the car. I get out, um, start walking up. And next thing you know, I hear this kid just say, arm yourself. And he was like 200 feet away from me. It's kind of echoey in the parking garage. So I'm like, where is this cat? And I see him. He's about 150 <laughs> feet. Like a- he's in a video game. Yeah. It's like 150 feet away from me. And he's got, you know, the Jackhawk 9,000, right. You know, the big old, you know, six and a half inch blade. Okay. I actually have a picture here that I'll, I'll provide to them so we can pop it up there. I have a picture cool. of me holding it, but yeah, yeah. Um, it's definitely not, it's a no joke fixed blade knife. So All right. he's walking towards me, says arm yourself. And I said, Hey bud, I'm not going to do that. We got plenty of distance here, right? I didn't tell him this, obviously, but we got plenty of distance. So I don't put my hand on my weapon or nothing. I start trying to engage him. Obviously, he's having a crisis. We were there for mental health to begin with, Mm -hmm. but yet I still have to be careful, right? So I'm talking to this kid. We have a good rapport going. His name was actually Andrew, same as mine. And so I started talking to him. I was like, what's going on, man? You know, we found that common ground. He's like, I've been going to see psychologists. You know, my parents always ride my ass. You know, the the um the the medicine's not working i think they got my medication all screwed up and stuff and i'm like okay that's Mm. fine he's still got the knife he's still very amped up he's got the shoulders rolled forward very aggressive but still we got that distance okay yeah so if you can imagine top of parking garage it's a box so he started kind of going towards the corner kind of backpedaling because i was trying to get closer like do the thing like hey put the knife down so i can get closer we can work this out wasn't really working that way so by this point you know we have the other officers they start showing up and i'm on the radio saying things like you know and maybe if i was in my later part of my career instead of my first cop job i would have downplayed it on the radio a little bit and i would have been like hey i see him he's 150 feet away from me Mm -hmm. you know i got it under control gaga report kill your lights and sirens but you know gently come up here yeah right instead i said something along the lines of he's got a knife and he's coming towards me and then I just okay, jumped yeah. off the radio because, you know, it's the same thing like when a plane's crashing you aviate, navigate, and then communicate. Right. So be a cop first. Yeah. <laughs> Figure out where you're going. Yeah. And then start getting on that radio and stuff. Because how many times you see those videos where someone's in an active shooter and they're, you know, they're on the radio like shots fire while yeah, they're shooting? Exactly. Like, why? 
Yeah, There's no, no reason. Do you take care of your business and go. So anyways, <laughs> yeah. they come rolling in hot. You know, They get the shotguns. About six cops end up showing up, and we end this dude in a half moon. And I'm like trying to tell him, like, I got it. Like, calm down. We're good. You know, they're just doing what they're trained to do. This kid's obviously amped up even more now because all these cops are pointing the gun at him. So he starts running off uh, to the corner and he starts putting himself up on the ledge. I don't know how to describe it. I'm a, I'm, I'm a believer, you know, but I felt a voice inside of me just say the word go, go, go. So as this kid's pushing himself up on the ledge, my idea was I was going to grab him by the back of the shirt, pull him backwards and then mm-hmm. deal with him on the ground. Hopefully the knife goes away at some point. Hopefully he drops it. Or- I saw him take the knife, set it on the ledge so he could push himself up. Ah, okay. So I could go up there. Your so I go up there. Yeah. And it was like maybe 25, 30 feet. Okay. So distance to cover. So by the time I got up there, his feet were already up on the ledge. He had re got the knife turned around and was looking at me like this. And I'm looking up at this dude who Ooh. could easily jump down at me yeah, yeah, and, and do that. Right. Yeah. And so I just say the words, don't shoot him. Cause I felt all this yeah. weaponry behind me. Right. And I actually heard off to my, uh, my right side, a shotgun rack and a oh. round hit the ground because he racked it again for some reason, <laughs> just to make sure one was in. There. I, I guess don't so. know. Yeah, just double and so that's when I said, don't shoot him. Yeah. The guy jumps out, he swings at me, and the first and last time ever in my career that pepper spray was effective. I <laughs> unloaded the whole can on this dude, and it wasn't like some, you know, usually when you pepper spray someone, it's 35, 45 seconds before they actually receive the effects. It was almost immediate with this dude. He drops the knife, goes down to his knees, like, oh, like all that stuff. Really? Lays down, detain him, get him the help he needs, good to go. Right? Damn. There was a knife there. Yeah. So at that point, like once we wrestle him, it all worked out. Huge adrenaline dump for me. I thought I had done something good. Well, it sounds like you did. It, well, it, well, that's what I thought, right? And like, <laughs> and I thought I had done something that I was trained to do. My number was called. I performed. Right. I met the expectations that I had in my mind of what society wanted from me. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was, I was very happy. The experience of that was, you shouldn't have rushed him. You almost got us into a, a an officer-involved shooting. Mm-hmm. The lieutenant at the time, that was the all he needed, the ammunition he needed to start changing, making life really bad for me because he was saying stuff like, you know, this kid's a liability, he's going to get us sued, all this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, okay, as a young cop, and I'm a little more mature now, a lot more mature now, but as a young cop, that really, really got to me, man, because I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Well, yeah. Let you stand there because it's not illegal for you to kill yourself mm-hmm. and just let you jump off? Well, that creates its own set of problems because, you know, that kid's family could be like, hey, right. my son was having a crisis. He asked for help. The cops showed up and they just didn't help him. And he, right. just, he just killed himself. Which and they didn't do anything. Fortunately, I've heard that uh, amongst some law enforcement leaders. Uh, about it's not illegal to kill yourself. Talking about barricaded subjects that are suicidal in a house they alone. They leave them alone now. Well, it, yeah, mm-hmm. in some agents of the are, and I'm uh, big time against that because they have things called legs, and they can walk away from their house. <laughs> yeah, they can go get some car keys and and drive off. And I mean, we yeah. don't enforce the situation, but we're there to. And I tell you what, if that's my sister in that house, and she's had her, her brother or whoever, some relative of mine, and they're having a mental health crisis, and the cops are like, "Well, hey, you know, it's not legal to kill yourself," and uh, we got other things to do. Right. We're going to go it's work in schools area. on traffic. That's we're, right. we're out of here. 
well, how are you serving and protecting them? I mean, right. Yeah. Well, it's a big gray area because it's like, well, we don't have a law being broken, but at the same time, someone is in danger. And who do people call when someone's in danger? They call the cops. But it's such a, and I know that there's, there's legal issues, you know, with um, like the community caretaking exceptions and things like that. But it's, yeah, like in my, in my opinion, personally, like the cops have to do something. I mean, we have to try not to, you know, overstep our bounds or anything, but we got to try and preserve life if we, if we can, in my opinion. I feel a lot of the uh, lines are blurred when you talk about community caretaking, right? Because yes. you can, yeah. cops will understand this, but maybe the public won't. You can actually use community caretaking as an enforcement tool. Right. Sure. So yeah. you see someone swerving on the road. This is just the most simple example. You see someone swerving on the road. They're necessarily not breaking a law, mm-hmm. but you know that someone swerving within their lane mm-hmm. could be a DWI. Well, yeah. you can justify that as community caretaking. Like, mm-hmm. hey, are you okay? You could be a diabetic. You could be having right. a heart attack. You could be right. old. You could be confused. Like, something's going on. Yeah. This is not normal. And I have a baseline of 15,000 cars I've seen today yeah. that didn't act like this. Well, and that's, you know, so like a, an example that's happened here where we worked before sure. is um, we've got a uh, elderly gentleman mm-hmm. who is observed just kind of walking down the side of the road sure, and uh, doesn't appear to really have a, a clear direction and looks a little confused, keeps stopping and, and looking around, turning his head and then keeps going and then changes direction, goes back, changes direction, goes back and just seems lost and everything. Well, like he's not breaking any laws. Like he's just out walking in public. There's nothing wrong with that. Like. He's not doing anything illegal, but someone calls nine one one and is like, "Hey, can you send someone to check on this right. guy?" We go out there. Cops are going to arrive. They talk to this guy. Say, "Hey, are you okay?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm fine. You know, I'm just out here walking." I'm like, okay, well, like, you know, do you mind if I ask it? You know, where you're going? Maybe I can give you a ride or something. Right. And he says, "Uh, I don't know." And like, okay, well, you know, so you're just, you know, are you out here exercising? Like, what, what are you doing? He's like, "No, I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, see my aunt. Well, where does your aunt live?" um you know maryland okay well you're not gonna walk away so it becomes this thing where like we're gonna take this Very guy's basic. freedom away from him right to help him even though he's not breaking the law right. but we're gonna take his freedom now and it becomes a a weird issue it's, there. i mean you know just about every cop i know they're very much about the fourth amendment right because we don't ever want to live in a place where oh i just think my neighbor's doing something so all i got to do is call down to the kgb and have them go over and yeah. you know go figure it out yeah you know yeah. i think like society sometimes would wish that would happen but even when it comes to terrorism like mm-hmm. you know it's a lot of cases we treat yeah. them just the same as every other american citizen and mm-hmm. and that's that's something that we can't lose exactly. you know and we yeah. definitely can't but and that's why i say law enforcement is such a pillar if not the foundation of democracy and if you erode that in any kind of way, you're only eroding the democracy in which it exists. Yes, it needs to grow. Yes, it needs to improve. Yes, it needs to keep with the times. And if this was the kick in the pants that we mm-hmm. needed, then great. But that's not been the case. Yeah, it's been. It's gonna have to touch the bottom of the barrel a little bit before we can come back out of it. Yeah, well, it's so true. But okay, so all those gray issues and everything, we could go off on for a big sure. Tangent yeah, we definitely that, went off on a tangent on that. Move on to your yeah. panhandle time. Yeah, so. definitely. Yeah, yeah, so like you're you're at your cop there, but like. Let's go ahead and go into sure. So it sounds like you get in into some right. pretty hot stuff there, right? So it I definitely, you know, I could have defended myself a lot better um, now, knowing what you knowing know now. what I know now about how police administrations work. But as a young cop, you know, yeah, so what Sergeant said, I might as well be in Genesis, you know, like it's mm. that's what we're doing. 
you know, and you definitely don't really question or ask or, um, really try to have your own decisions on stuff because, you know, especially in law enforcement, same with fire, same with military, when you're the new guy, you shut up and listen. Right. Like, and I'm not saying it like it's something where, oh, they're asking us to do some nefarious thing and we're just turning a blind eye because we're scared little rookies. Not at all. I'm saying like there's a process, there's a way to do it that comes from experience, the way to operate within specific departmental environments that comes from your FTO, that comes from your sergeant that in an ideal world, you know, where you're learning those things. But yeah, uh, end up um, leaving and then, um, you know, it was one of those things where I was talking about how many of these departments have administration above them, especially if they're in a specialized environment. So they sent that file of all my rookie verbal counselings and sent it up to just human resources. So they're comparing the same people who deal with professors all the way down to janitors. They're looking at me and I have a personnel file this big and they're like, Oh, you guys want us to make a decision on whether to keep this dude or not? How about no? Yeah. You know? So that's what they said. I didn't even have a chance to appeal. It was, it was, you know, but I guess the one thing I would say is what drove me in that is whenever I went up, you know, to, uh, you know, basically appeal, or try to appeal my, my termination. I, uh, the, the gentleman there, the, one of the admin over there said, um, being a police officer isn't for everybody. Hmm. And that was at the time, one of the most crushing things that I had ever heard. Yeah. Well, it also internalized and went inside of me to be like, I'm going to prove you wrong, man. Yeah. Oh, it's not for me. Okay. Mm -hmm. Watch this. Yeah. You know, and that's, and that's kind of what happened. And so the things that I would get in trouble for, like, for example, we had five, five square mile campus and I would always be on the perimeter knocking down cars on the four streets that went around campus. Right. I actually had at some point, uh, after this, um, knife incident, I had a limitation of if I drove more than 35 miles, (laughs) I had to park the car at the police station and go inside and do, uh, like T kill classes or, you know, police one classes or something like that so i was like okay so that was towards the end of all that um you know and because of me going and assisting surrounding agencies such as the police department police department um we were one of the few ones at the time who had long guns right so there would be times where there would be a gang fight or something like that with and we would go and help them and just so happened that one night i was helping a guy who had a gang fight and we actually found the dudes and I, next thing I know I'm out there with my gun, my uh, AR, he has his, uh, just his pistol out and we're chasing this dude who had just shot at people and he throws off a desert Eagle as he's running away from us. (laughs) And that was just such a good situation to have a rifle in. And that guy who I assisted from, even though I got heat from assisting him in that moment, Mm-hmm. That guy ended up knowing someone up here in the panhandle for whenever I needed a job, got me the job up here because people knew me as one that can go, you know, be down with you in the trenches, you know, which yeah. is as simple as it gets in law enforcement, right? Yeah. You, whenever we're finding another cop, we just say, Hey, if it goes down, can I count on you, man? That's really yeah. all that matters. Yeah. So I come up here to the panhandle um, and going from and living that suburban life to up here is such a culture shock, right? It is, it is wide open. It is flat. You can see your dog running away for two days. Um, <laughs> like it's, 
it's a totally different world. Dust storms, actual snow. People don't realize there's snow in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, like all four seasons, all four seasons, sometimes in the same day. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, so come up here to the panhandle, get on with the, you know, uh, sheriff's office. Um, and just probably at one of the lowest points in my life. Right. So the idea was I'm going to go out cause I couldn't get a job anywhere in the, um, because I had a general discharge and no one would touch you at the time. Cause again, it was still on the heels of, you know, plenty of people wanted to be law enforcement at the time. So they had to pick of the litter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had made myself a bad candidate. So I, I came up here to save my career, to have, you know, two or three years of service of separation or if mm-hmm. not more, um, to kind of go back and look, yeah, you know, screwed up at as what's on paper, sure, you know, but I have this good years of service. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. we, we had a lot of fun out here. Um, you know, I think just, I don't know what panhandle stories you want to specifically talk about, but <laughs> uh, I know, you know, when I was an FTO up here, the coldest I have ever been in my life, uh, my FTO at the time, um, who's no longer with the department, but, um, we were out on 287 South, uh, during a pretty significant, um, winter storm event, ice on the road, you know, frozen a couple of times. So roads are pretty good shape. They're pretty, or pretty, pretty bad shape. They're, they're a mess. Semi truck comes off the road and it goes off in the ditch. Right. So we got to sit there and wait for a heavy duty to come out of who I'm sure was busy at the time. So mm-hmm. this particular FTO, I guess it had some bad experience with a semi truck sliding off the road and rear ending him while he was in the vehicle. So, um, this FTO wanted me to stand outside of the vehicle in the snow while we're waiting on the record, which turned out to be about two and a half hours. Now me being the, you know, growing up in the hill country, um, not really used to snow. So all I had on was my uniform pants with those breathable polyester stuff that the wind just cuts right through them. Mm-hmm. And like maybe three layers of pajama pants. I didn't even know what lawn johns were at the time, man, because uh, I never needed okay. them. Yeah. So put those on, man. And we we're standing, I'm probably up to ankle deep snow. And next thing you know, my, you know, private parts <laughs> are frozen. Mm. I had never felt that before in my life. And not pleasant. you know how like you, when your fingers are cold and you put them in on like underneath hot water and you get like that needle stuff. Yeah. That, but in like this entire region, <laughs> it was the most uncomfortable I've ever been. It's not what you want. Just because I was thawing out from being like, I don't know, it had to be in the twenties being oh, out gosh. there for three hours. It was one of the coldest I've ever been. So that was like, kind of like, welcome to the panhandle, man. You know, like it's a little different up here. Yeah. And then we, uh, you know, I got hit with a dust storm, which is like something you see out of, you know, some, you know, Indiana Jones movie yeah. or something like yeah. that. Like it was a, and for people who've never experienced a panhandle dust storm. Yeah. Let me tell you, like it is, it is no joke. You have static electricity everywhere because mm-hmm. of the dust, the dust is getting it. And it's not just like sand on the beach. It no. is fine particles. <laughs> It's it's Mad Max dust storm. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. You know, so that thing pops off, you know, the first time and all I had was a, a painter's mask. And I think I drove back to town and like went to one of the hardware stores and got some goggles just because I couldn't yeah. see like it was just tears of mud yeah. coming out. Right. And so we started getting calls out in the more remote parts of the county of people who had driven off the road, couldn't see the road. And so you're, you can't see beyond more than three feet, four feet from the hood. Mm-hmm. So how you have to drive, and this is the middle of the day, mind you, you have to take that spotlight, mm-hmm. point it directly at the paint on the road and watch that paint on the road while glancing up to make sure you're not about to rear end somebody. Yeah, that's it accurate. Is, it is intense. Yeah. So 
doing all that, <laughs> you know, um, just, um, it was, it was something else, especially from coming from an environment where it's five square miles, 10 cops. Um, you have backup pretty much no matter what happens. You come out here, this, this County is a thousand square miles. And back in the day, we usually ran it with two, yeah. either side of 287. I got East, you got West. You That's know? a lot of area to cover. Well, yeah. And it, and it kind of molded me as, as the cop that I, that I wanted, you know, that I ended up being because you, don't rely on anyone but yourself anymore. You have to trust your verbal judo. You have to trust your in situations in which you engage the, the fights you pick. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, the fight picks you. Like for example, we had a stabbing, I think inside of, um, I think it was maybe over there on the East side somewhere. Um, but they ended up squirting out into East County and, uh, just some random house out there that was on a little bit of land. So, um, end up finding them, you know, after searching for a while and that specific night, it was just me in a reserve, uh, who was working or the, the regular deputy was tied up maybe on a mental transport or something like that. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Might it's been some time. Um, but I remember finding this vehicle and it ended up pulling up at a house and it was some kind of, I don't know if it was, um, Mexican mafia or something attached to that, but Hispanic dudes, uh, in a gang, uh, this is what okay. they, they were involved with. So I end up coming, you know, seeing which house they go to. And mind you, this entire area is completely flat. You can truly see five miles yeah. from where you are. So completely blacked out, go off into the bar ditch, get out of the car, tell dispatch what I'm doing, say I'm going to turn down the radio, I won't be able to hear you. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, turning the rifle on and, and proceeding. So start slowly working my way up to the house. I see five or six pretty big dudes hanging out um, kind of in the front and they're a little bit panicked because they're talking about the stabbing that had just occurred in town and how they have to fix this situation. And so next thing you know, I hear one of the, the main suspects or who I think is the main suspect basically be like, I'm out of here. I'm about to leave. So he hops back in the truck. And he's about to go. And by this point I'd worked my way up to about maybe 50 yards from him. Okay. So my backup's coming. I'm waiting for that to engage, right? I'm mm -hmm. waiting for um, the reserve to show up to engage yeah. while well, I'm out of time. Yeah. Right. They're, they're going to get gone. And the amount of distance that I had walked from my police car, I was going to have to sprint to that. And by the time that they do that, they could turn it on and be gone. Mm -hmm. Right. So they would get away. Yeah. So I ended up deciding to deploy from, you know, from the darkness and hold them all at gunpoint because yeah. they were all out in the front. And I was, you know, saying my stuff, you know, yep. promising all kinds of things that I would do <laughs> if they didn't listen. Yep. Right. And the thing that I had to do because, I could see that they were kind of figuring out if it was just me. Mm -hmm. So I was talking to, I actually used the word Billy. Um, I was talking to Billy who was in the backyard and I said, Hey, you got him around back. Okay. I got you brother. Nice. Like, and acting like I was talking to my radio, pretend <laughs> like there was two of us took about five minutes, felt like an hour because of the adrenaline, but then reserve shows up. We detain everybody, figure it out, you know, was able mm -hmm. to get the, the PD to come out and have their detectives solve the crime. Nice. Right. But that was just such a, a different experience from, Oh, this drunk girl's like kind of being mean to me. And there's three cops standing over my shoulder. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, come on. Yeah. It's, it's a totally different environment and, and kudos to y'all and, and many of the panhandle law enforcement, uh, that does it like that. People don't realize how much area y'all have to cover. It is different. And, uh, yeah, I will say like, so I've done, a, I, I did a little bit of time at a city PD sure. up here and then, you know, I've been with the County, but, um, that uh 
having to figure out how to operate alone a lot is very, very real. It's a very real concern sure. because, yeah, you'll wind up in those situations where you're always outnumbered. You know, a lot of time, most of the time you're outgunned if you're going to something like that. So, like, you, you have to play your cards right. For sure. Be a lot more strategic about things. So, so you're with, um, you know, you're with, uh, for uh, about how long were you here? You should. Three I years? say almost three years. Almost three maybe, years. Maybe two and a half. Okay. Uh, it's yeah, somewhere in there. Seemed okay. to be about the, the reoccurring like every two and a half years. You <laughs> yeah, know, interval. Go ahead. We got to talk about our, uh, the little side job that we went on in Oklahoma. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. So you know, Sergeant Jones, much like he did yesterday with the tornado, just hits me up. Was like, hey man. You know, we're I'm, I got this extra job with my canine, and we're gonna go up to Oklahoma to go with the compliance folks who are dealing with an oil rig company, right? So we're gonna go there at the same time that they're doing the uh, urinalysis tests, and um, they have a policy there within the company where uh, you would also be able to search their vehicles as well as their their lockers. So to kind of isolate um, some of the problem areas, you know. Jones had brought his uh his uh canine uh Lucifer with him. So we're we're there, we're doing our thing, we get the briefing, and they had specifically told us like, you're not cops, don't wear uniforms, you're just here with the company, your contractors, stuff like that. So um you get to this point where or Jones was getting to this point where he was over there in the I guess the storm shelter with all the lockers. He's searching for the uh you know, seeing what he could find. And actually, Jones, why don't, why don't you say what you were you were doing at the time? Well, and at the time, you were just a ride along with me because I'm Correct. like, you know, I had a uh, four or five hour drive over to that part of Oklahoma. And I thought, man, let's see if Blouser, Blouser's single. He's new here. You know, maybe single. he'll just want to <laughs> ride with me and, uh, um, you know, give me some company while I do, do this uh, security gig. And um, I, I don't know, maybe hang out and get to know each other a little bit more. Well, so as Blouser was saying, we up to that moment, and uh, so I'm going in there, and I am, uh, I'm searching their lockers, and uh, I have a guy there uh, standing beside me, and I'm searching lockers, and the next thing I feel is I just feel like kind of water hit me in the face, and I look over, and this dude is on the ground, knocked out, and uh, I look <laughs> up, and there's this big dude's like boat up over him, and he's like. Right. Says something to the effect of like basically you're a fucking snitch, you know? Why did you tell them? You know, that you're the reason they're here. And I'm like, what the fuck? And, and I'm a smaller dude, and this dude's big, right? And I and I'm like, man, I don't. And we got these. We look like oilfield people. They made us wear yeah. these coveralls and stuff, yeah. so we kind of blended in. They didn't know we were cops. So I was on one side of a of the bench, and this guy was on the other. And he looks at me and kind of bows up while I, I kind of jumped over the um the bench to kind of get on the same side as him. Right. And I pulled it out of me. I'm like hey i'm like get outside and it kind of kind of like startled him and he uh so we walk outside together and uh i go to kind of tr- trying to pat him down and everything well he kind of bolts from me right. and, and he goes and gets into of all, all vehicles an el camino well, well a little a little bit before he did that man he uh so he bolts out and this is the point where i i'm kind of sensing a commotion i'm about uh, you know, I'm about shoulder high in a in a lifted up, you know, Dodge Ram, you know, oil field, you know, with the big rims, looking to see if he's got, you know, anything that he's not supposed to have inside of his car. I kind of look up and I see Jones, like, you know, I see this dude tearing out of there, and I see Jones come out. He's kind of got these wide eyes, like, what's going on? And he says, <laughs> yeah. he says, 
he says something to the effect of we should stop that dude. We should stop him, right? And I was like, are we cops now? And he goes, yeah, we're cops. Well, that's well, he <laughs> yeah. he, had, he drove off, but then he, he came back like, oh, like momentarily, okay. like in that so parking in lot. That, so he leaves and yeah, then he, okay. he comes okay. back and then he gets out of the car and he goes it, up the oil rig. And I guess he either wanted to say goodbye or he had something he wanted to say to he, the controlman. He left his cell phone in there. Is what they. That's what up, it was. Yeah, he okay, left, his cell phone was in there, so he ran up to get. But so he climbs up, which to us is like an. So this guy's acting irrationally. Right. He's not on an elevated surface, so he's got a like angle of fire. Honestly, which right. is kind of weird ass, yeah. oil filled like oil rig mass shooting. It's like sixty feet in the th- air. That's never occurred. <laughs> and I, I asked the uh, one of the like bosses with that uh, oil field company. I'm right. like, you, you think he's you think he's got a gun? And he's like, I don't know, maybe, probably. We hadn't and, searched his car yet. Yeah, he yeah. might have. And I'm like, maybe. what the hell? And then I think I think that's when you asked me, are we cops now? I'm like, yes. And we were like, like I don't know, like we were Superman yeah, or some you, like, shit. Yeah, you whip we up just the shirt and all of a sudden <laughs> I had a gun this whole time. Yeah. It's not concealed anymore, baby. You yeah, know, cops will carry. Like Surprise. unzip our flame retardant coveralls. <laughs> like, boom, and there's our badge and our gun. And we pulled our gun. Like, we, we did, like, pull our guns out and we kind of, right. like, pat it. We started. Next thing you know, you're you, me and Jones basically form in an impromptu stack and yeah, we're going yeah. up the side of this oil rig you know the sun's just coming up it's actually really pretty out there you know and uh the same kind of look on the control guy's face where they're they're tripping pipe like they're pulling pipe yeah. out of the ground and the roughnecks are rolling it down the little chute like heavy pieces of machinery are moving and me and him just totally having no idea you know how much danger we're in we're just up there and he's already by the time that we're up at the top he's already at the bottom well, I don't think oh, any of those guys gosh. knew that we were cops. So they see these oil, and, and we're probably more clean cut right. than oil field. Uh, they knew a lot we, were, of them, we but were probably not oil field workers, but we are just two random dudes all of a sudden on the deck, and they shut it down. With badges and guns at this yeah. point, but still wearing oil field type clothing. I'm yeah. sure they're like, what in the hell is going And then this dude's running around up there, and yeah, he had, as we were climbing, he went down, down the, other the other side, side or something. And, and then just, just like a movie man, you see him jump into his El Camino, go out the main gate, and just like this plume of dust and regret <laughs> behind him you know as he just went mm. off into the sunrise man it would be better if it was a sunset but it was a sunrise and he uh. he took off and the, and the crazy part about that was the guy who had put on the extra job the one who was coordinating all of these things he uh he looked at jones and then he looked at me and he says that was really crazy that's kind of ridiculous that that happened you're hired on the spot 35 bucks an hour plus per diem of what you've already spent we'll make sure that you get your check and we I mean, not to talk out of bed, but I probably got close to three grand for like Rock on. three or four days of work. Yeah, yeah, we were just, he hired him on the spot. He technically didn't yeah. meet our policy because he hadn't been there long enough to do an EJ, an extra right. job. But I'm like, whatever. And he, yeah. they, it changed that company's policy because oh, really? from that point forward, they always had two officers because I was just, I would have been there alone right. had I not just invited you along for the ride. Right. But they, that, mm-hmm. and I won't mention the company's name, it's based out of Houston. Um, right. But they uh, changed their policy where anytime they did uh, things like that, they had two law enforcement because it was – and they had you – your job at that time was to go guard the guy because they, they, that guy had to be hauled off by an ambulance uh, that, that, oh, right. that initially got knocked out. Yeah. And I, I didn't mention that when I was telling I the story, as I was communicating with the suspect, the guy kind of came to and he was like on the ground kind of like on all fours moaning while I'm in this kind of standoff of this other <laughs> that dude. mild concussion yeah. moan. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they, I guess they just took him to the ER because you, yeah. you went to the ER and I finished up the I the didn't cert- remember I went to the hospital. Yeah, you went to wow. the, that's That was what your job was, like I guess, to like protect the guy <laughs> like he was a star or something, the president. I mean, but, you know, I'm sure the company at that point was freaking out because they have a, you know, an actual 
incident where they could be sued within, you know, for failing to protect their employees or whatever the case would be. Whatever. An yeah. absolutely hostile work environment, at least. You know, <laughs> the guy yeah. punched him in the face. You know, well, they yeah. were adamant that nothing like that had ever happened in the company's history, and maybe it hadn't. But that's mm. a hell of a deal that we show up and then. Well, and behold, weird, something like that happens, but it's, it's just weird. I keep showing up at historic events, and then it wasn't yeah. like, and, <laughs> like for Copland, it wasn't crazy in the sense of I mean, we deal with assaults and stuff like right. that, but the fact that just how it all played out, and, yeah. and we were out in the middle of the, uh, yeah. a, uh, you know, central Oklahoma in an oil field. You know, I mean, it was just, very wild. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was something else. Quite it sounds story. like a scene out of like a like super awesome buddy cop movie, right? Well, and had that guy <laughs> actually had a gun and started to start shooting at us, we'd all have been screwed because he was way up in the air. Oh and yeah, all of us are down there like ants mm-hmm. running around. We weren't wearing armor. No, we weren't. Ar- <laughs> I had a little Glock twenty six with me. You know, it's my little yeah. concealed carry that I, I run around with. I mean, it, we weren't. I think I had my twenty seven, which was the forty caliber, so even worse, like a little. Yeah, we weren't prepared for anything cricket. like that, but it was it was. Uh, I don't know. We got us. We got to know each other more. Yeah, that and, trip. and that's you know you'd mentioned <laughs> it, and I didn't realize it at the time, but you'd mentioned it a couple times since our friendships developed. You know, that was that was the time that you were kind of sniffing me out, making sure that I was good to go, and I guess I passed the test. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, another thing in law enforcement is we don't. I mean, we're uh, we work with everybody, but right. you it, and it may not just be law enforcement, but you have to work with somebody and trust them for a while for you talk to him about yeah. certain things and, and you yeah. just know hey does this guy's personality mesh with mine or you know are we good and you don't just somebody doesn't just get in your car and, and you roll around on patrol and they're like hey man this guy's good like i trust him i know he's got my back right and meaning got my back on you know a fight or anything out there right. on the street yeah. you know for, for not in a bad way people are going to see that well right. we got their back to protect them nope protect me from the bad people on the street i know he's a good cop i know he's gonna go out there and work you know that type of thing to me that is the thin blue line Right, yeah. it's not this. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm gonna cover for you, bro. Yeah, you when know? you're doing something illegal, it's, you're beating somebody. It's not somebody, that at all, and that's is. why we we incorporated so much into our funerals, into our, yeah. our our culture of honoring death, honoring a warrior's death. Mm-hmm. It's it's we really are the guardrail on society, right? And when it comes to making another relationship with a cop, like for example, I left here in 2015. We're, we're what seven, eight years from now, and we're still like we just picked it up like I'd been living down the street the whole time yeah the, once yeah. you make those friends and once you make that camaraderie mm-hmm. that is someone that even beyond work you can call and say hey man i need you to watch my kid yeah. for a second oh, i need yeah. to go i've had something happen and they'll yeah. be down for you plus other resources yeah. there's no better friends oh there's really not there's like- no better friends than law enforcement man because like you just mm-hmm. once you're in that critical situation with somebody yep. and you have to rely on them that's a brother yep. that's a sister for oh, yeah. a while well, and they've seen yeah. what you you have and like right. well, we talked about mm-hmm. it before but the things that we've seen and stuff it's not healthy it's not but you know yeah the person beside you has seen that you know after time they've got some some and, uh, and time unless, on the and, department you know they've seen things and unless you're just someone who's lucky who has a first responder spouse or a nurse spouse or someone who is familiar with that world you have nobody else other than your cop buddies who you can go talk to about this stuff yeah. You know, you can always go see a specific mental health specialist, which I highly encourage and mm-hmm. everyone should do. But for the day to day, the person who you pick up the phone is like, hey, man, I'm just ha- I'm just going through it today. That's a cop yeah. to a cop. That's usually a cop. Yes. Yeah. Well, speaking of things like that, I want and, and uh, maybe only the cops will find this story funny. Uh, perhaps this regular <laughs> citizens will be like, what the hell? But I want you to tell the story about how you uh, your uh, CPR event, and then when you went to Subway, to have oh you a man, okay, yeah, you just talk <laughs> about like you know stuff that would probably stick with a normal civilian forever, but you know maybe just the repeated events that happen, you kind of just all roll together, you know, become a collective. But um, get a call, 
um, north end of but our part of the, the county uh, gentleman, um, his uh, daughter had come home, said that he had went back to take a nap, said, I'm not feeling too good. I'm going to go take a nap. About 30 minutes went by. She went to check on him, try to wake him up, couldn't wake him up. Hmm. Dude's dude's uh, not breathing. So go up into the house, um, feel him. He is warm, hmm. um, very warm. Like not, yeah, not like, like, you know, you're starting to head to room temperature. Like, I mean, this boy's. I mean, he's like, like live 85, 88 degrees on his skin, you know, it's still pretty okay. cold, but still enough to perceive it as warm. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, cool, maybe I have a shot. So still second, you know, still pretty much a rookie. Yeah. Um, first time I've ever had to do like CPR, like where I've actually had, you know, where it was warranted. Right. Um, this guy's on a bed and I start working on him. Well, that's not a hard surface. You can't do that. You know, because yeah. you're not getting good compressions because the springs, you're also compressing those. You're pulling to the floor. So you're basically working against yourself. So I start bouncing them off this bed. A volunteer firefighter who shows up, one of my friends, um, he says, hey, man, like like the energy, love the enthusiasm. Let's get him on the floor and do, you know, CPR there. So get him on the floor, start working on him. 20, 30 minutes pass by. He's gone. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's he's done. Every so, attempt made. Yeah. So we're we're good. We call the. We call the JP, JP comes out, declares them, all that kind of stuff. By that point, I remember it being specifically hot and specifically humid in that house. You know, like old people's houses, they're always like humid and hot for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why. Maybe just because. We'll find out one day. We'll find out one day when we're old. You yeah. Know, here in about 20 years, we're those, we're those people. <laughs> but yeah. um, he, uh, you know, next thing you know, I worked up an appetite. We go down to uh, the subway. And so, you know, it's kind of a crapshoot if cops wash their hands all the time. Me particularly. <laughs> Didn't wash my hands, apparently, that day. <laughs> so I'm about halfway into my uh, foot-long beast sandwich from Subway, and uh, I'm about to take a bite, and I notice a little thing hanging out on my thumbnail, right? Oh, no. And it's a booger, Ooh. and it's got a gray hair in it. Well, I don't have any boogers with gray hairs in them. <laughs> Where could I have possibly acquired this booger uh, in the past recent history. Oh, that makes sense. Cause I was pushing on the dude's chest and a booger shot out of him and ended oh, up on my no. thumb. And it was like really like plastered on there too. Just super nasty, man. Mm. And so I don't think I was able to finish my sandwich at that point. Definitely washed my hands for a little while. Um, but yeah, man, you know, it's just kind of one of those things, man. That yeah. Just when I go to subway, I usually don't get like the gray hair boogers on my sandwich. Not just, normally. No, yeah. No, not normally at all. <laughs> Let's see if there's anything uh, I wrote down notes here. I guess um, yeah. you know our buddy Jace. He would be uh, he would be you know I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, his first pursuit, um, which was a uh, a pretty good one. So we're we're coming out of town, and then um, you know with the spread outness or the you know scarcity of law enforcement up here, sometimes your pursuits tend to go couple hundred miles, couple hundred, you know, a couple dozen counties. <laughs> they can, yeah. Yeah, so this one that came over I, probably from a uh, trooper was um, chasing him out, and he started, he came all the way through, um, uh, what was it? Came through, came out that way, coming back in, you know, about out there in the area. And um, we got the call, so I actually happened to have a ride-along, which was Jace at the time. Okay. So he yeah. hops in with me. And we start going out in our lifted um, Chevrolet Tahoe that was governed to 95 miles an hour. So as fast as we could, we're headed out that way. Um, we ended up getting out on one of the roads out there. Um, 
about three or four miles from the county line waiting for him to come through. Now, one of the things about the panhandle is it's so flat, you can see for a long way. So we could see him. Okay, yeah. Over there, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it's just a trooper at the time, plus some other uh, units were, uh, were following. So he starts coming up, um, and the dispatch relayed that they want us to try to, to spike this dude. And so okay. I'm like, okay, cool. We'll do that. So we have the stinger system, which is, uh, if anyone doesn't know, it's like an accordion lattice looking thing with hollowed yeah. out spikes mm-hmm. um, that ideally would stick into a tire and then in a controlled manner. So you don't just have a full blowout, <laughs> release the yeah. air out of those tires. So I lay this thing across the road and there's no other traffic, you know, middle of the night. I'm down in the bar ditch, see this guy coming up and we have no communication with this trooper at all. So he is right on the bad guy as he's coming up yeah yeah so as the bad guy is coming up to the spikes he hits i see him hit the first tire and then i'm like okay that's good enough i start pulling yeah he hit the back tire and then i pulled it out from just in front of the trooper as he went by (laughs) because he couldn't see us in the ditch either i've never understood when cops are spiking that they turn on their lights while they're in the ditch especially at night turn Mm -hmm. it off make it a surprise you know keep a little mystery in your life you know (laughs) anyway that's just me so Comes through, he st- he starts going, I'm losing my mind because it was the coolest the, thing. The perfect spike. Like, it was like it was like a like I'm a bullfighter, you know, and it's just woo-woo. You know, I just stopped this ninety thought, you know, ninety-five mile an hour, you know, eight thousand pound vehicle myself, you know, like with mm-hmm. this little dinky contraption. <laughs> so it was pretty neat. Um, so at that point, like Jace had told me, and he wasn't even a certified peace officer at the time, he's like, Hey, we should probably like yeah. go help them because I was clearing the spikes out of the road. I was like, that was awesome. Yeah. That was so cool. Oh. Just amped up. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. And so I remember, you know, getting in the car and going up there and I had on the, on the Tahoe's, if you're really excited, you would drop it into drive, but you would go too far and put it in manual one. Right. Oh, so yeah, hitting yeah. the gas, my engine's going, <laughs> and we're going like 20 miles an hour. You know, <laughs> he's like, and I drop it down in. So we take up and yeah, the guy ended up, um, the guy ended up, I don't know if he was some kind of pervert or what, but he had a bunch of pornography stuffed into the headboards and like almost every place that you could hide hmm. a piece of paper in your car. He had a, like a porn magazine in. And so the trooper, whenever he was questioning him about it, he's like, why'd you run? He goes, Oh, I have porn. He goes, kid porn. Yeah. And he goes, no, just regular porn. And I was embarrassed stuffed into my <laughs> headboard and stuff. He goes, well, you can have that. That's fine. As long as it ain't kids, you know, like it's, <laughs> <laughs> the reasons people run right. sometimes are understandable and sometimes it's like oh why yeah. like <laughs> and what was he wearing uh so yeah he had he had a uh i believe it was a pink bikini on mm-hmm. underneath his uniform and the trooper asked him where did you get that and he had claimed he found it on the side of the road oh so when he got down to the jail um and we were booking him in um I had instructed the jailers to get rid of it because it was it was in disrepair. It was not uh, a, it was a health hazard. It was a biological hazard. So okay. I had instructed the jailers uh, we should probably get rid of this yeah um, secondhand uh, bikini bottom that's <laughs> um, been involved in a couple of felonies. Mm. Um, so that that was done. Um, but yeah, it was it was definitely an interesting interesting cat. When you say that he had this pink bikini on under mm-hmm. his uniform, like what kind of uniform did he have? Oh, I said uniform. Yeah. Oh, he had a he had a like a like a tire shop like oh, okay. kind of like a like a workers like a Dickies. Okay. Kind of like um, I gotcha. You know, like gotcha. a like a shop shirt, but hmm. 
for some reason he didn't have a belt and he was kind of he was sagging a little bit and you could see it was very <laughs> obvious against the dark contrast maybe like a navy blue oh, wow. uh, the pink yeah wow it was it was something else man so uh, that's really nice so. but yeah so then i uh <laughs> i ended up uh getting married um you know um i married my uh my college uh sweetheart uh susie and um ended up being the time where i had to start heading back down to um the houston area so i got a hmm. job with uh, a place called <laughs> sheriff's office um and that was its whole thing thanks for tuning in don't forget to like and subscribe uh, you can find us on apple podcasts spotify and youtube uh, we try and release new content about once a month right now um, and if you're interested in hearing more from andy blouser stay tuned for part two of episode 10 thanks <laughs>